You're listening to the Fat Dude Digs Flicks Movie Podcast Network. Hi, can I get your ticket, please? Oh, looks like you're in the balcony. This way. Welcome back to The Balcony, the brand new show from a couple of dudes on the Fat Dude Dicks Flicks Network, where we talk about our favorite subject, the movies. I'm your host for today's show. My name is Blake Innithin, and if your movie ends with Dreams by the Cranberries, I'll give it five stars. And you know me, I'm not alone. My good friend and everyone's favorite state theater character actor, that guy, Derek Virick is with me. DV, how you doing? I'm doing great, BG. Uh, BG Milky Way. That'll be my nickname for you. <laughs> that works for me. I've, I've, I've wanted to call you DV for a while just to like get that going as a nickname. And I was like, all right, I have to write this in the notes. That way I make sure I hit the hit it tonight. Um, I, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Um, good, good. I'm very happy. You know, it's, it's late February and like all movie buffs, we're still talking about the movies from last year. That's really yeah. fun. So. Yeah, we uh, we we uh, I'm, a, I'm I, we uh, we both have our own schedules, and so like I don't get to hurt, hit certain movies uh, until way after they play, and then you know just because we live in a, mm-hmm. a place that yep. slowly gets uh, uh, all the movies, we uh, we kind of like wait to do this. Uh, of course, we're talking about we're doing our top ten uh, movies of 2023 tonight. Uh, I we. You know, cinephiles, Derek. We love to make lists about all kinds of things, and of uh, the the the, ba- the biggest list that we can make is uh, the top ten of twenty twenty three. Uh, as you guys know, Andy is not with us tonight. He is doing his annual top uh, ten list of the year with uh, Jameson Fifley. That's coming out two next? weeks, two weeks away. Okay, yeah, yeah the week so, the week before the Oscars. So. so he's yeah, so he's setting this out. It's just you and me tonight. Um, hmm. before we start that though, I think, uh, we should talk about some new releases that we both yes. watched. Not, not, I don't want to spend a terrible amount of time on them, but, um, we both watched, uh, some, some new movies, uh, that are, uh, pertinent to the year 2023. Um, I think let's start with, cause you, have you seen American fiction yet? Um, no, I am waiting until it plays at the state on March 1st okay. through the 3rd. Okay. But I, I know yeah, you've so watched I, it. I did watch it because I, um, I just don't need to see some movies in the theater. And I, yeah. um, and so I decided to watch this one. Uh, I don't know what this one, like, I, don't, I don't know if this will be successful. It, it, it has a lot of things going on in it. It's like part melodrama, family drama, and also like part very satirical uh comedy and like i don't like it, the the edges of both of those movies they don't they don't really go well together they they kind of like for me they they're very uh they they butted heads a lot um yeah but i um i have to say like i really enjoyed the characters a lot especially Sterling K Brown who uh <laughs> plays this uh he's a, he's a plastic surgeon he plays this plastic surgeon who is going through like a midlife crisis and um, he has a, an incredible sequence where um, someone has has uh, passed away, and they're um, doing like a a last rites thing on the beach. And it's it's in the Red Band trailer. If you've seen yep, that, yep. And mm-hmm. uh, 
he doesn't really say anything until until that sequence, and it's it's really really funny. Um, and uh, of course, movie stars Jeffrey Wright, who is excellent in the movie. I've been hearing a lot of people who are like, "How dare you say he's better in this than he was in the French the French Dispatch?" But I'm gonna join that crowd. I thought he was incredible in this movie, and uh, it's too bad that this performance like sits in a year with like. Killian Murphy and Paul Giamatti because he's really, really good in the movie and I would love to see him get the Oscar, but um, probably not going to happen. But uh, I can't wait to hear your thoughts on this, Derek, um, especially with a crowd of people who are just going to be eating up a lot of this this dialogue uh, and especially this Sterling K. Brown performance. He, he kind of just comes in as like this tornado in some points. Yeah, I, I'm really hoping we get good crowds for it at the state because I think it's a movie that's really going to get helped by that. I yeah. do find your comments about like the tonal shifts very interesting because I because I don't know if you watched the very first trailer for this movie, the one that only focuses on the book satire stuff and doesn't even yeah. delve into the family stuff at all. I, I have seen it. Yeah, I, I watched okay. it when it first came out. So. Um... You know, this movie won uh, Best Picture or the, the People's Choice Award at uh, TIFF. Yep. And I'm I I was about 25 minutes in, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised this one. Like, this is <laughs> a, a total audience movie, and uh, I'm really excited to hear your, your thoughts um, in a couple weeks. So you betcha. Uh, so I think we should pivot to poor things because we I know we both watched that, and we then. Did. And then I will let you just kind of veer off into The Boy and the Heron. And you did see The Teacher's Lounge, right? I did, yes. Okay, cool. I, I've not seen your letterbox score, so I'm really excited to, to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, right. What did you think of Poor Things? Um, I think it's very good. I can't put it into the great echelon, um, but it is very fascinating to kind of see Yoros Lanthimos at kind of like the height of his capabilities as a director. I mean, I would say, I mean, there are movies of his that linger um, in my consciousness, like the lobster, most definitely, you know, the killing of a sacred deer that just haunts you to no end. Uh, Poor things is operating in a very different register than those movies. It's, you know, a quirky, fantastical, adult fairy tale for lack of a better phrase um but within there it's you know just surreal production design and costuming and just uh incredible performances by you know a bunch of a-list actors um i know we've already had some vague discourse about like emma stone and her performance which is a real tour de force um you know, in terms of like this creation of William Defoe's quote unquote mad scientist, if you will. Um, and once the movie kind of, you know, cause the movie takes a good like 20, 25 minutes before it reveals exactly what Emma Stone's character is. But when it makes that revelation, you kind of connect things back to what you've seen. You're like, Oh, that tracks. And not only does it track, but you kind of see like, the inventiveness of the choices that Emma Stone makes to get there. But then also from there, you see like her character start to evolve and develop and become aware of certain things and become more intelligent. Uh, and it's a very, you know, it's a long movie, but it's a long movie to allow for in part for all that transformation in Emma's characters that, 
you know, when you get to the end and you get to where she is, it all just tracks and it all kind of lines up. Um, that said, I will echo your comment that, you know, I found this movie to be a little bit long, maybe like 15, 20 minutes. Um, could have gotten shaved off. I'm, I'm guessing you probably could have said a lot more. Could have been shaved off of it too. But I think what saved it for me is the fact that when the movie gets into the final 20 minutes and it's got a lot of new juice because it's tying up a whole bunch of, bunch of loose story threads from the beginning and kind of paying these things off and even having the boldness to introduce a character we haven't seen until the final 20 minutes that kind of ties it all together as well. Um, so yeah. And then of course, obviously William Defoe um, in, in sympathetic mode, uh, despite one hell of a makeup job on his face and Mark Ruffalo ple- playing period skeeviness to the hilt. Uh, it's it's quite a show. So there you go. Yeah, um, I I liked it less than you did. I I'm I'm also in the like it's good but not great camp. I I um I kind of miss land land the most when like he was in Europe and doing his really oddball you know like dog tooth and Alps type stuff. Okay. Having said that, having said that, like all the stuff you said about the the tech stuff here is like really incredible. And some of the ideas that he's, you know, playing with, like, you know, feminism and um, sexuality. Oh, like, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting. And I, I don't tend to like movies that are, like, really in your face, um, like, big stage design. And, and I, I just don't like that stuff unless there's some sort of, like, heart to the movie. And this one, thankfully, has a heart and something to say. Yeah, it's it's a little long for me. I would say it's a solid thirty minutes too long. I mean, some of the stuff on the boat and the the bordello stuff and the yeah the, the, the bordello the is, stuff. Yeah, the bordello is really where I felt it the most. Yeah, in terms of just yeah. feeling like we're we're kind of running in a circle here a little bit. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Christopher Abbott, who kind of just shows up out of nowhere and like goes full villain mode. Yes. Um, Oh, uh, just a complete dirtbag who, like, Mark Ruffalo plays that, you know, but like, he's more of a buffoon than anything. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, so, like, he's kind of like a stupid villain, whereas, whereas Christopher Abbott is full on, like, no, I'm, you know, intimidating. I'm, I'm evil incarnate and I'm, you know, your mind type of thing. Um, I, 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 I'm just, I'm fully in on Emma Stone is like the winner for me and i'm not i'm not saying she's gonna win but like i this is like i I, this isn't like tar level of like i I think the you know kate blanchett and tar is one of the great performances of all time emma stone's not quite there but like the the level of like where she goes with her character and like what she does and i'm not just talking about like the nudity she does but like just the physicality. Yeah, she really puts herself out there. And it's it's one of those, like, movie star performances that... He, I mean, granted, you know, she's built up enough, like, cachet over, you know, 15 years to do something like this. But it's just... It's such a... I mean, I don't want to say brave. But, you know, like, it's just a performance... It, you it, it's bold. It's very bold. Yes, yeah. Um, but um, just... Yeah, remarkable performance from her. I mean, from all three leads. I mean, like even Willem Dafoe is like not quite a good person in the movie, but 
You're right. But, he does but by comparison, he ends up being yeah. a bit of a sympathetic right, character too. Right, right, right. Yeah, he does realize that, like, because you know, he does realize like some of his tra- past transgressions aren't good, and and he's learned. Whereas the other two are just like, no, we want this woman for ourselves. But yeah, uh, good movie. Uh, I think it has. Is that does that have one more showing at the state, or is it done? Um, it has two. It has a Wednesday night and a okay. Thursday night. Okay. If this if this episode gets out before that, I would highly suggest going. Uh, my crowd was quite reactive to certain sequences that uh, you you know about. So, yes. Um, but yeah. Uh, so mild recommendation recommendation from me, but uh, more of a recommendation from you. Um, so I'll just let you talk about whichever movie you want next. Sure. Yeah. So the other two, this is one of the rare instances where the state's weekend of programming was entirely new releases, which is kind of cool, but also kind of one of the benefits of being in the midst of Oscar season right now and allowing for the schedule to just kind of fill that up. Uh, So uh, the other two of the other two movies that we had this weekend, I'll start with uh, The Boy and the Heron. Uh, the new Studio Ghibli uh, film from Hayao Miyazaki, who has once again come out of retirement uh, <laughs> to make another of his uh, hand-drawn wonders, uh, shrouded in secrecy, uh, released in Japan uh, without even so much as a trailer or stills or anything like that, which is, again, still a baller move if there ever was one. Um, and then ultimately getting a release here in the States, uh, the state played the dubbed version, um, which I had already seen back in December. Um, yeah, I know there's a lot of debate that you can have about, you know, should I see the dubbed version of a Studio Ghibli movie or the subtitled version? Uh, for me, um, prior to me seeing it the first time in December, I was ultimately won over by uh, the IndieWire article that David Ehrlich wrote about uh, the distributor G-Kids here in the U.S., who was tasked with making their very first uh, English dub for a Miyazaki movie. And Ehrlich really goes into the process of uh, what, like, the adaptation of the script uh, goes into, as well as, like, how do you cast uh, the actors for this? It really went into a lot of stuff, for example, with... Uh, Robert Pattinson going into his process for how he uh, voiced the heron in the movie, um, which is quite a performance in itself, but I'm getting ahead of myself there. Uh, This is a tale set uh, around World War II time. Uh, We've got a young boy who uh, moves to, uh, or moves in, or he and his father, uh, voiced by Christian Bale, uh, move in with uh, the sister, the identical sister of his recently deceased mother, um, who died in a hospital fire uh, during World War II, um, while staying at uh, his sister, uh, his mother's sister's place, uh, he, the boy finds this uh, sealed off tower uh, and is also befriended by this uh, uh, deformed gray heron, uh, who ultimately reveals himself to talk, voiced uh, by Robert Pattinson in a in one of those voice performances that when you hear, oh, that's Robert Pattinson's voice, and you hear what's coming out of this, which is a very, which is weirdly, it's, he sounds kind of like Willem Dafoe, uh, but it's not Willem Dafoe because Willem Dafoe has an actual role in this movie later mm. on. Um, but it's quite a quite an interesting performance by Robert Pattinson, and it kind of puts... You know, for all the notion we have about like, 
yeah, why do they keep hiring A-list actors, you know, to do these voice parts when they should be hiring voice actors? And I think you can make a very, um, very interesting argument that there are instances like when you have like uh, Robert Pattinson in this role or say uh, Bradley Cooper in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, you know, where you've got actors who are willing, you know, to not just use their regular voices, but are willing to create character, unique characters with, um, with their vocal talents. Um, it really makes things interesting. Um, but anywho, uh, the plot goes on. This boy finds this secluded, sealed-off tower uh, with the help of the aforementioned Heron. Uh, they go into it and journey to this, you know, like, parallel world uh, where they meet, among other things, um, a variety of uh, talking animals from pelicans to parakeets, um, as well as... Um, as well as the young version of the boy's deceased mother uh, due to some crazy time shenanigans. Uh, and it just becomes this, you know, wild, emotional roller coaster of an adventure. Um, I'll freely admit that, you know, I'm not, or that anime is one of my big blind spots when it comes into pop culture. You know, I've seen a handful of the Studio Ghibli movies, so I know enough to be dangerous when it comes to. Hayao Miyazaki, um, but this is a resplendently gorgeous movie, um, lovingly animated, um, just the way that herds of animals just unfurl within this movie, or, you know, like the depiction of meals in here, or, you know, the sweeping vistas, um, it's a consummate experience, even when the movie itself um, feels a little bit cryptic and certainly feels like Hayao Miyazaki is still kind of working some personal shit out in his life, um, which is perfectly fine. Um, but it is certainly a unique animated journey nonetheless, uh, especially in today's landscape. And, you know, even like this weekend at the state, there is still like, certainly for my showing, there were huge crowds for it. I know one of the showings this weekend was a sellout even, um, you know, People, all sorts of people love Studio Ghibli, especially here in the States. And it's just endearing to see a movie like this actually become like an actual genuine box office blockbuster, uh, which is going to key into some of my comments later when we start talking about 2023 as a whole. Mm. Um, so for that matter, I recommend it. Um, again, the dub is great because you've got a lot of great voice performances in here. I mentioned Pattinson already. I mentioned Defoe. I mentioned uh, Christian Bale, but you've also got... Um, Mark Hamill in here. You've got Dave Bautista as the mm. Parakeet King uh, showing up late in the movie. Uh, that's fun for a lark. Florence Pugh is in here. Um, she plays a little feisty adventurer uh, who's also in the proceedings. Um, it, it's well done. It's definitely worth it. I'm sure it's going to show up on HBO Max here in the new future because I know they've got a bunch of the Studio Ghibli movies already under exclusive contract. So, mm. yeah, it should be there fairly soon. Cool. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not a terribly big uh, Miyazaki fan. I, I've liked what I've seen, and Spirited Away is one of my favorite movies. But uh, yeah, I, I, I'll see this eventually, probably when it comes to Max. So yeah, uh, yeah I, I've heard a lot about the patents and voice, so I'm really excited to see, or I guess hear, what that's all about. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one that was at the state this weekend is the Teachers Lounge, which is Germany's entry into the best international feature race this year. 
Um, it's, you know, a drama slash semi-procedural uh, about a sixth grade teacher at an elementary school. Um, the premise is, like, there's this series of thefts that have been going on at the school. Uh, the faculty and staff have ha tried several ways to try and determine who the thief is, um, and that has led to no success. Uh, so the school teacher decides to put together a little sting operation at her desk in the teacher's lounge um, with her laptop open so that she can hopefully catch the culprit in the act. Uh, she ultimately gets a vague piece of evidence on her camera uh, that she uses to accuse another staff member of the crime. Um, but basically things kind of devolve from there and ultimately it ends up with seemingly every group in the school being against this sixth grade school teacher from the faculty to the parents of the students, uh, the students themselves. In one scene, the teacher goes in for an interview with the school newspaper, which becomes kind of hilariously uh, combative. Um, it's an interesting move because it's, it's mainly concerned with kind of this snowball effect of this teacher trying to solve a situation and basically making everything completely worse in the process. Um, it's not, I may have called it a little bit of a quasi procedural, but it's ultimately one of those movies that's not really concerned with you know, like a whodunit in the sense of like anatomy of a fall, if you will. Um, but it's mainly just kind of, concerned with like you know how this teacher kind of blows everything up and then how everything conspires to kind of uh pressure down on this teacher as well um it i would say it sort I, I, how should i phrase this i think the movie thinks it has an ending but i think it kind of ends a little bit abruptly and unfinished um but regardless of that, it's a fairly swift time. It's only about 90 minutes. Um, mm. It moves pretty swiftly. And, you know, the scenes of just watching this teacher trying to get through to her kids in the classroom, the stuff independent of uh, this whole theft plot, uh, is fascinating in and of itself to the point where I was thinking early on, I'm like, is, is the whole stealing plot actually getting in the way of what this movie is trying to achieve? And ultimately that's not the case because this, movie is trying to really uh, indulge itself with the complications of how this uh, school stealing situation um, impacts everybody. Um, obviously, you know, I think at this point, I think it's fair to say, obviously, that this movie is not going to win uh, mm -hmm. the Best International Feature Oscar. I think we all pretty well know what that is at this point. Hint, it's the one that has a Best Picture nomination. Um, <laughs> but... Um, but it's still good for what it is. And, you know, without it having an Oscar nomination, it wouldn't have come to town here and I probably wouldn't have seen it. So, uh, for that, I'm glad I had the opportunity and it, it was worth it for me. Cool. What did you, what did you get? What did you rate it? I gave it three and a half. Three and a half. Okay. Yeah. That's a solid, that's a solid. Yeah. That's a, to me, it's a very good movie. So very cool. Yeah. yeah I, uh, I want to see that one and I, 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 I hadn't really heard much about it until I think maybe the big picture was talking about it. And so I okay. I kind of had it on my radar and then I saw a trailer for it and I was like, oh, this looks kind of like 
this looks kind of intense. So, um, yeah, looking forward to that one. Cool. Um, okay, so uh, before we get to our the the, the main event tonight, I kind of want to set up what we're going to talk about, and yeah. that, by by doing that, I kind of want to just like I want to just very briefly talk about like twenty twenty three, just like you, how you what, how, what was the year? Yeah, well, like how did you feel about it? How did, like I know you saw a bunch of movies. I saw uh, 48 movies that were released last year. Um, so I didn't see as much as you did. Um, I saw, what, like three or four movies a month, it, it looks like. Um, so I'm just curious, like, what was it like for you? Uh, you saw a, a couple of movies a, a bunch of times. Um, yeah. So, and, and you saw them all over the place. So I'm really curious, like, yeah, how was 2023 yeah. for you? Yeah, so I guess as long as we're throwing out numbers, according to Letterboxd, I have 116 movies logged from uh, 2023. Now, granted, a few of those are like shorts, like the Wes Anderson shorts that were on Netflix. Um, But regardless, um, you know, a fairly good crop of movies, considering that, you know, we had some rather significant delays and pushbacks, you know, due to the strikes and things getting pushed out of the year. Um, you know, I guess to frame it, I mean, like 2022 was to me kind of Hollywood and the movie industry shaking off the last cobwebs from COVID. You know, that was the year where we kind of got like the last like majorly delayed movies that we were waiting for from before lockdown, like Top Gun Maverick had finally come out Mm -hmm. and, you know, other things like that, um, you know. But of course, there were still a lot of gaps in there because, you know, there were still, you know, shortages in content and stuff like that. Um, 2023, the more I've thought about it, the more I find it to be a very interesting year because, you know, on one hand, you know, we had like some major movie going events. You know, I mean, I don't certainly a year ago, I would not have I would never have imagined the whole Barbenheimer spectacle being the thing that it would have been where both of those movies became genuine blockbusters in their own right, but then also helped each other out to make them into even bigger blockbusters um, to the point where they are two of the 10 best picture nominees at this point. And, mm. uh, and one of them is obviously going to dominate the night. Um, mm. But at the same time, it, you know, you know, just as we were kind of getting the last vestiges of COVID out of the way, um, Hollywood kind of mucked things up again, in part because like half of the year uh, Hollywood was on strike, uh, and so you had delays up the wazoo. You know, you've got weekends where like there are no new movies coming out. Um, you know, like big things like Dune get got pushed out to twenty twenty four when they were supposed to come out. You know, back in November and would have hopefully been major Oscar contenders this year. Uh, it would have been interesting to see like how that would have played out, um, but also in but also the fascinating thing about it is like uh, on top of you know the complications that Hollywood is putting into play with that, this is all, and I think this is probably the most fascinating part of 2023 to me is uh, 2023 basically became the year where audiences said in a loud unified voice. We're tired of all these kinds of shitty movies uh, populating <laughs> theaters. I mean, this is the year where audiences basically got truly sick and tired of comic book movies, um, which you know I felt was a long time coming. 
Um, but it was just kind of refreshing just to see things fall apart on that front as significantly as they did. Now, granted, there were still a couple of like actual genuine beloved comic book blockbusters this summer mm -hmm. in Guardians and Spider-Verse, but everything else basically failed. Um, you had a Marvel, a Marvel Studios movie that made less than $85 million at the box office at a point where these movies would make well over like 85 million in a weekend. Mm -hmm. um, I had even remarked like when I went to see the Marvels uh, Thursday afternoon, opening day at the West Mall 7, and I'm the only one there for my showing. Uh, hmm. And that's unheard of, absolutely crazy. Mm -hmm. um, but even then, it's not just like comic book movies falling apart. You know, like Disney was like derailing all over the place, you know, because you have movies like Wish that people didn't care about or Indiana Jones kind of bombing. You know, it made some money, but Gosh, I forgot about that movie. Short, but it definitely fell short of expectations. Yeah. Um, you know, Tom Cruise, who saved movie theaters in 2022, uh, decided on a whim that, yeah, I'm going to release my new Mission Impossible movie a week before Barbenheimer. And that, you know, imploded on his face, uh, which, you know, absolutely surprising. Um, I'm just looking what else here kind of, this is also the year that streaming is really starting to fall apart in terms of, in terms of movies, in terms of, at least from how I'm seeing it, uh, the streaming services, really starting to scale down in terms of kind of giving filmmakers blank checks on these mm -hmm. streaming services. Um, you know, this is the, this is the second time that a streaming service decided to give Martin Scorsese uh, 200 plus million dollars. And this is going to end up being the second time that that results in uh, around a dozen nominations, but not a single Oscar. And I don't well, think we're not, we're not there yet. I mean, well, we, we don't I, know yet. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm reading the tea leaves and I think it's going to strike out just like the Irishman. That, that's my gut feel at this point. Well, I mean, so, so we're going to do an Oscars show in a few weeks. Yep. I, yep. But do you think Emma Stone's the lock now? I think so. I, I okay. think, okay. I mean, if, if you're judging it truly on the performance and, you know, what Emma Stone is being called upon to do versus what Lily Gladstone is being called upon to do. Yeah. Um, and I think, I, I think it's no contest just from that alone. I mean, so I agree. Want to do about, like, about representation or anything like that. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, in terms of an acting competition, I mean, you know, there's a high bar there with what Emma Stone is being asked to do in poor things, but that's just me. Um, but, you know, but just all the, but again, we're going to see a big throttling down in terms of like, you know, like what risk, like, you know, the risk that Netflix used to take when it comes to movies, you know, those are going to throttle down significantly because again, Netflix just fired their head of their film department after like mm -hmm. seven, eight years. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of see a world where Netflix is maybe even going to get out of the, we've got to try and win a best picture Oscar race, perhaps. Hmm. Um, We'll see how that goes. Um, but also it's like we had so many like big Hollywood blockbusters this year, even outside of like the comic book sphere that were just adamant out like, yep, we're ending these movies on a cliffhanger. Uh, we've got a Mission Impossible movie that ends with a cliffhanger. We've got a Fast and Furious movie that 
ended abruptly during the middle of an action sequence. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got a Spider-Verse movie that decided like, yep, come back here for part three in a year or two. Um, you know, and, you know, a lot of audiences just felt horribly strung, you know, strung along in these cases. Like, can you guys just focus on making one good movie and with like a nice tight off story? And then if we like it, then we'll give you a chance to make another movie, but just stop being a tease about it. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is also kind of fascinating in terms of like, there are several movies that I'm going to talk about on my list where those filmmakers really embraced the finality and conclusiveness of it all versus Mm. just trying to tease it into like, come back here in two years for the next one. Um, But then there's also just the notion of like what moviegoers did support were, you know, a lot of things that, you know, either you hadn't really seen before on the big screen, uh, but also just things that are like, you know, unusual. Like I mentioned like the boy and the heron that became like a huge, blockbuster you know kind of out of nowhere at the end of the year same with like godzilla minus one for example um the fact that you can have a movie like oppenheimer take off and make nearly a billion dollars that's crazy uh, for for a three-hour historical biopic in the middle of the summer um or even like things like you know like you know to really put a tie that like you know people responded to barbie because there just hadn't been like a Barbie movie like that before you've got your, like your piddly, like animated stuff, you know, that goes direct to video, but this is a real concerted effort, you know, kind of a similar thing with say the super Mario brothers movie, which isn't a brilliant movie by any means, but you know, it was the first time that they made a super Mario brothers movie that actually resembled the super Mario brothers video game and wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, a unrecognizable entity like the 1993 movie. I'm sorry. Those of you who heard what I just said there, but that's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I, the, the big thing I'm getting at here is, you know, I'm very interested to see where we go from here. Now that Hollywood has kind of learned a lot of these lessons, the hard way where audiences are, sick of the same old same old and they want new they want new stuff and exciting stuff in their movie content and i'm gonna be very curious what choices the studios make going Mm. forward to kind of freshen things out and kind of get us out of the same old same old as it were yeah uh i mean i'll kind of just like piggyback of what you're just saying there you know you and i we've 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 had a lot of talk about like you know, we're both 90s kids yep. and looking back at like the top 10 box office hits of like 1990 or 1991, like mm-hmm. they're unfathomable these days. And yeah. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that we maybe possibly go back to like getting just mid budget movies that cost 30 or $40 million that can make 75, 80, 90, hundred million dollars. And you know, like the, the, the risk of making a three hundred million dollar movie and it needs to make seven hundred to break even. Like I want to, I want to get away from that. I want like more like movies aimed at adults. You know, like I mean, like how big was Basic Instinct when we were kids? I mean, that movie was huge. And yes, it played it, for it, months. Know, yeah, it played for months. People were talking about it. You know, good or bad or 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 whatever. Like I remember going to other movies at the time and there'd be lines out the door for that, and we just don't have you know that anymore. I think like. Maybe like that that Ben Affleck Arna uh, Anna de Armas movie is like the, the close, yeah a close like 
cousin of that. And it's like, that just goes to streaming now. There's no like buzz around that. So that's, that's personally where I would, I would want to see movies go back to where, you know, we have a, a 14 screen theater and there's maybe 10 movies playing as opposed to four or five. So that's my, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, you kind of bring up a good point there with like the nineties thing. Cause I, I'm thinking of like, you know, Valentine's day week at the state, you know, where they had like ghost, you know, an improbable blockbuster, you know, like, you know, like had its hooks in audiences and was generally like one of the biggest things that year yeah, yeah. Or, or, or Jerry Maguire, you know, which is kind of like that, you know, kind of slice of life, you know, comedy drama for adults. Yeah. Uh, you know, like from, from like the Jim Brooks factory that we don't really get that much anymore. I mean, we'll, we'll have one example. I know that's on your list. That's kind of in that vein. Uh, but on my you list, know, sort of. Yeah. Well, I'll oh. mention it when we get to it. I'll mention okay. it when we get to it. Okay. Okay. Um, but, you know, just kind of that mixture, or even like my best friend's wedding with Julia Roberts, you know, which is, you know, like more of your traditional, well, I shouldn't say traditional rom-com because it's kind of a bit of an anti-romantic comedy. But sure. but again, it's kind of like that whole like star power fueled comedy mm-hmm. where it's really banking off of, you know, the presences of its stars, uh, making funnies and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I definitely see what you're getting at there in terms of just like, yeah, it's nice to have, you know, an actual mixture of content and, you know, trying to harken back to those days. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, thanks to 2023, we're probably closer to that era again than we have been in a very, very long time. Yeah. So having said that, um, let's, let's, let's kind of start making our way towards our lifts. Um, yes. Do you have a certain way that you put this together? Because I, I did. So I'm curious if you looked at this a certain way and were like, this is how I'm going to rank things. So the the first big thing I did in assembling my list was I went back to what I had logged on Letterboxd over the course of the year, Mm -hmm. Uh, filtering down to the 2023 titles and kind of seeing where the scores had landed out. Mm. Um, And so I knew right there that I had like a core top six uh, because those are the movies that I had given four and a half stars or more to. Mm. So I'm like, so I'm like, I know for sure those movies I've got to put at the top of my list. And then, um, then looking back at my four stars, I'm like, okay, which ones really pop up from there? And there are an easy three that I had right off the bat. And Mm. I'll admit, even like in the hour leading up to this recording session, I was like, I've got like a good 10 or so candidates for my number 10 slot. Hmm. Um, and I was really, I've got it locked in now. I'm pretty sure I've got it locked in. Uh, but you know, I was really fiddling around with what I wanted to do in that slot. Um, so that, that's basically how I work through it. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, went through mine completely different. I, um, I, there's going to be a lot of big movies that are movies that are not on my list. And I uh, was thinking about, this is sort of like a a thing for me every year where it's like, do I put the best movies I've seen on here? Do I pick my favorites? And I ultimately decided to go with my favorite movies, the ones that stuck with me the most. Like I, I'm pretty sure I have a movie on my list. It's like two and a half, three stars, but I could not stop thinking about it all year. And um, I, I felt like it was due for me to like sort of just talk it out and uh, give it some recognition. And sure. so a lot, a lot of my movies, 
I, I mean, like, there's some really big movies from last year that I just, I just didn't decide that I like. I, I ranked them, rated them higher than a lot of movies I have on my list, but I just decided that like they didn't stick with me after a week. Whereas a lot of these movies that are on my list, they, I just thought about them either all year or um, for weeks after I saw them. Yeah, I, I had that a little bit, you know, like, for example, I was thinking about this with Poor Things, you know, okay. where I decided, like, do I want to put this movie in my list or not, even though, and the reason I decided not to put it in my top 10 was, like, I've only had, like, 72 hours mm-hmm. to wrestle with this movie in my mind, and I don't want to rush that into there just because I've got a yeah. deadline for when I've got to record this. So yeah. I, I'm perfectly happy with, you know, setting it aside for the time being, although I'll probably yeah. rewatch it like Wednesday night. Sure. And you know, maybe it'll go up in my estimation then, but you know, yeah. for, for a first viewing, not necessarily. Yeah. I, you know, like I, I told you, I think it was Tammy the T-Rex where I was like, you know, I, I just, mine is set and I'm not touching it because like, like you just said, like, do I just put a movie in that I liked this past weekend? And it's like, Oh, it's one of the best ones. So I just, I just, I set it and it's like, boom, I'm done. And, uh, I, I think I have a pretty good list of movies so, and I'm excited to talk about them. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go first, but what I, sure. what one, what one rule I want to put in place is, is if I list a movie or if you list a movie and I, and either one of us have it, have it higher, we're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to table it and then we'll talk about it when the second person hits okay. it. Is that Got fair? It. Got okay. It. So my number 10 uh, is Tori and Lokita by the Dardenne brothers. Um, I saw this on the Criterion channel. Uh, we talked about the uh, a Dardenne movie last year, uh, two days, one, one night, night uh, yep. on the Criterion break. And uh, this is their newest movie. Um, it's about uh, a couple of kids who are... Um, Oh, what um, man? They're from another country. What what is that called? I'm blanking right now. Uh, so so like they're they're from like Africa and they're in Belgium and um, they uh, they're they're looking like they're oh they're immigrants. Thank you. Sorry sorry. So they're they're illegal immigrants and they're looking to get like their official papers and they have to okay. work these really terrible jobs and like hide from police. And all this stuff, and they're treated very, very poorly uh, by the people who employ them, who kind of see them as subhuman. Obviously, a lot of like really big thematical uh, issues being tackled with this, but it also plays out like a thriller, uh, hmm. where one of them ends up getting like a, a job where they have to work inside of this controlled, locked-in uh, environment, and the other one decides to try and break them out. And uh, it turns into this big chase at the end and uh, doesn't end well for one of them. And it's a very sad movie, like with all Dardenne brothers. And um, I just, I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it all year. Uh, really plays into uh, a lot of humanity. And uh, I, it's, it's a movie that I, I could like, other than like it, it's thriller elements, I felt like it really could happen and probably does happen in Europe. Uh, Europe has a, has a, has been taking in a lot of uh, migrants over the past decade. And I'm sure uh, the story rings true for a lot of them and for a lot of people on the continent. I don't want to speak for them because I'm not there a lot, but um, I thought this was a, like a very sharp and um, well-made thriller. I think it's only like 90 minutes long. So it's really short at the same time mm. and um, just a really, really, really good movie. 
and uh they just like they're old old the, the old guard european masters and they just haven't lost a step at all really enjoyed this one interesting i mean you know i i've seen two days one night which has a tinge of a thriller component to it at least yeah. in terms of the fact that it's a movie on a clock yeah and so is that so if this is like a more explicitly thrillery type uh, movie that doesn't treat yeah not until the end of the movie the last 30 minutes probably but okay. yeah um they, they made a movie in the like 2005-2006 called Le Font, which is kind of plays more into that as uh than uh two days one night and that's that's another one to check out too that uh they did but uh okay. Yeah, Tori Lakey is my number 10. Yeah, and I know a Criterion just put that out in the uh, Janus Contemporaries line. Oh, I Blu-ray didn't know that. Well. Okay, Yes, cool. yes. So that made that cut as well. So, all right. Uh, for my number 10, uh, where I decided to land things on is You Hurt My Feelings by Nicole Holofsener. Oh. Um, this is uh, stars Julia Louise Dreyfus as a New York City writer. Uh, who's in a little bit of a funk uh, with her newest book uh, that she's trying to get off the ground. Uh, Her husband, played by Tobias Menzies, is a therapist who seems having hard trouble getting through to any of uh, his clientele. Uh, There's a fun runner with uh, David Cross and Amber Amber Tamblyn as a couple, uh, you know, it's coming into his office for couples therapy, uh, but they just spend the sessions complaining that, you know, they're not making any progress in the sessions and so forth. Um, and it's a very intimate, you know, like very small scale, you know, like comedy drama piece. Um, you know, cause the whole kind of like the whole crux of the movie is like Julie Louise Dreyfus here is like over here is a conversation in a store between Tobias Menzies and one of his friends kind of talking about like how he doesn't think Julie Louise Dreyfus new book is that good. And it kind of gets this whole little discussion or this whole little motif about like, you know, what quote unquote little white lies we say to each other, you know, to encourage them so forth, you know, and do we, do we, what do we really mean by what we're saying and things like that. Um, And it's a very well-learned, you know, like, it's a comedy that really earns its laughs by way of its characters. Uh, it's, you know, very droll and understated, uh, but it's also, you know, quite funny in places. It's very, you know, it, it's, it's the perfect, you know, sophisticated adult kind of comedy mm-hmm. uh, that like that you probably would have seen at some point in the nineties possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at least with people like Halofsner, you know, they still make these movies uh, and get these through and get people like A24 to, you know, stand them up in theaters and then have good crowds from at places like the state. So it all, it all works out. Um, you know, is, is it's almost too quiet of a movie in the sense that it kind mm. of really went under the, you know, under the radar a little bit when it came out in like the early part of the summer. Um, but I know from those of us who have seen the movie, um, you know, it's quite a effective little charmer in its own way. And I thought of like all the movies that I was wrestling for putting in this number 10 slot. I'm like, this is probably one that kind of needs a little bit more of that attention. So that's mm-hmm. why I've put it here. Mm. Have you seen the preview for her new movie? Uh, is it called Tuesday? Is that what it's called? Um, 
Well, that's the new Julia Louis Dreyfus movie. Yeah, that's not yeah, Blossomer, that's, but but yeah, I have seen the trailer. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, that's why. That's why I meant. Sorry. Um, yeah, I feel like that's either going to be really bad or really good. <laughs> like I don't, I, I don't know. You know. <laughs> uh, what I've been hearing is that it's probably going to up in the really bad column, but I'm still oh, kind of fascinated. No. Yeah. As to what it could be. Yeah, I have not seen this yet, and uh, I need to do that because I uh, I haven't seen a lot of Holocenter movies, and uh, as a big Seinfeld fan, I've really been enjoying the like late, I don't want to say late career, but like the later yeah. career. Po- Post-Seinfeld. Uh, Post-Seinfeld, uh, even post-Veep uh, career yeah. of uh, Julia Dreyfus. So uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, my number nine, I have to admit, I'm cheating a little bit. Uh, I believe this actually kind of came out in 2022, but I, um, Elric Kane put it on his top 10 lists of, uh, of horror movies for last year. And so I was like, screw it. I, I'm putting it on mine. Uh, my number nine is called All Eyes. And um, I, 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 this is the movie that I gave like two and a half, three stars to. But like okay. I could not stop thinking about this movie all year long. I like hmm. it, it. Just it's it's a it's like a micro budget movie. I, I don't know what the budget. I looked for the budget. I couldn't find it. If this movie cost fifteen thousand dollars, I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, it's about this podcaster who who he was like doing a story on something and he got information wrong, kind of disgraced and like left to pick up the pieces. And he gets this, like, uh, he gets a, he gets a, a notification that there's this, there's this guy out in Oklahoma who um, says he has a monster in his backyard. And he decides to go and interview this guy. And what he f- ends up finding is this man who lost his wife and uh, is lonely and just doesn't live the life that this guy lives you know this this guy is from the big city probably a more liberal person the guy who lives in oklahoma more uh conservative person and i what i found really interesting is like these two guys who come from different backgrounds sort of like they start to see a semblance in both of them and and then like you slowly start to realize that there actually is a monster in, in this guy's backyard and the like the direction this movie goes in is is really interesting because it kind of turns into like like an anti home alone movie where okay. this this guy has set up all these traps in his house and they end up working against the hero because he doesn't know how to work them <laughs> and I, it, it, and it's it was it sounds funny but it's actually played dramatically and hmm. And there are some legitimately like scary, terrifying sequences where this guy ends up having to fight this monster alone and he doesn't know what to do because he hasn't had to deal with it beforehand. And I just, I didn't, I don't think, I think the movie is more ambitious than what its budget allows for, but I could not, I, I, I finished it and I, it was the one horror movie that I just, I, I could not stop thinking about all year and when, when Elric Kane put it on his list, I was like, you know what? I'm doing it too. And um, I just, I love this little movie and I want people to see it. And um, just a fascinating little creature feature that really, really surprised me and has stuck with me. So it's called All Eyes. 
Yeah, I, I'm looking at the wiki page and I'm looking at your review from February 4th, 2023. Um, and yeah, you're the only person in my friend circle who has actually seen and logged this movie on Letterboxd. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, that's really gotten through there. Um, yeah, so for my number nine, um, ironically, it has a little bit of kind of the same attributes that you just kind of mentioned in terms of me seeing it somewhat early in the last year um, that has some, you know, horror elements to it. And that has moments that really don't, haven't gotten out of my head uh, mm. in the nearly years since I've had, and I, and the more I've thought about the more, you know, the more it's sort of been forgotten that this movie has sort of been forgotten in the conversation, which is kind of weird because when it was around, it was definitely a conversation piece and that would be Bo is Afraid by Ari Aster, mm. um, which is really him kind of going for blank check, putting it all out on the table with this three-hour uh, <laughs> nervous wreck of a film uh, starring Joaquin Phoenix um, as you know this middle-aged schlub uh, who lives in this apartment complex in this hellhole uh, metropolitan area. Um, who receives news that um, his mother has died and must make the long, arduous journey to his childhood home for the funeral. Um, and it becomes this, you know, it's basically a series of elaborate set pieces. Uh, this huge section in the movie where, like, we see, like, the absolute hellishness um, mm. of Bo living through, which is probably a big, a big contender for probably, like, the biggest movie provided panic attack of 2023 in terms of just, you know, just like, um, you know, all these things that are going wrong. I mean, maybe of all time actually. Oh, absolutely. 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 Um, and which of course just makes it, which made it even more fun for me on a rewatch because I'm like, Oh no, I know all the horrible things that are coming that are, <laughs> which made it even like worse to watch uh, again, which hmm. would be quite a sicko for that. But then ultimately it gets kind of onto like this, like road trippish journey uh, thing where it's got a lot of, you know, crazy set pieces. Uh, there's an extended sequence at the home of Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane, uh, who rehabilitate Bo, um, you know, and try to nurse him back to health, but they have uh, some ulterior motives for what they're doing. Ultimately, then we have like this very visually elaborate um, uh, theater scene in the forest uh, that becomes very much like this very stunning uh, visual storybook like set piece which is probably one of the more beautiful things um i've seen at the movies in the past year um and then it really kind of heads into this final hour um <laughs> where we have not only like the most probably one of the you know, again one of the biggest laughs we've probably had in a theater last year a sequence involving parker posey um that you know i i dare not i mean for no. those of you who have seen the movie, you know what the scene is. For those of you who haven't seen the movie, I implore you to see it because, you know, spoiling the joke here would just betray the whole thing, and I don't want to do that. But then that <laughs> sequence leads into this whole section with uh, Patty Lapone as Bo's mother, um, which just becomes this incredibly 
excruciating sequence there and then leads to even some crazier surprises including like again one of the most insane visuals um you'll ever see in a movie this year uh in the attic sequence mm-hmm. um and then of course just the final like 10 15 minutes uh which again is its own insane little uh thing um you know the more i've talked about that the more i've realized just like just the sheer number of you know like memorable moments in this movie um that really set it apart i mean you can make the case that it you know it's, it's a messier effort than hereditary or midsommar um but it is also like like of all the things that we might be talking about here this is like one of the biggest swing for the fences movie efforts that mm-hmm. we got in theaters last year and you know when you know for those of you who saw it you know there was no way that you couldn't talk about it um and you know i i would even say you know it's like you know, it's maybe a little bit long but even then um you know ari Aster just has just a supreme confidence with the story that he's trying to tell nonetheless and i thought that merited eighth place on my list just because of that Hmm. uh yeah i really liked bo's afraid a lot it took me actually you know i i don't think i've even rated it yet because i didn't know what to rate it i didn't know if like it was a three-star movie for me or a four or a five or a one or a zero i didn't know but i i knew what i saw was really interesting and really funny um a lot of the jokes in it i just think it's I, i i can't believe like a studio was like, yeah, we'll give you eighty million dollars to make this big joke about you know X Y Z, which I won't I won't mm-hmm. ruin here. Um, <laughs> uh, balcony favorite uh, Richard Kind is in this, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm not going to ruin where. But it's just he's the best. I I, yeah, I love uh, that guy. Yeah, l- lots of great faces that you know in this movie. Uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson shows up very on very early on as Bo's therapist. Um, he he has some looks that he pulls in the final third of this movie that is, you know, just so, I mean, it's supposedly pleasant, but it just comes up as just disturbingly eerie. Right. Um, you know, it, it is, yeah, it is just an astounding movie. And I, I just feel like it's kind of been forgotten about a little bit at this point. Yeah. I don't know if it's yeah. because, because Ari Oster's working in like kind of like a different, vein of horror than you know his previous two films um but yeah you know it is just you know good on a24 for bankrolling this because you know mm-hmm. just what a treat what a treat yeah and i think he's already doing his next movie so um yeah. or at least the more the merrier I mean, yeah i mean like i think it's a western but yeah i'm really excited for that i i mean like love him or i hate him like there's no one making movies like him and that, that's kind of what we want we want someone yeah. who's out there at least yeah. doing roll the dice so uh my number eight movie i i don't know if it played in sioux falls um but i um i yeah so my number eight's eileen by william uh, did, did you see this uh, no but i really wanted to um, okay. It might. It maybe it's on Hulu by this point. I should check this. But but you go okay. go on ahead. Yeah. Um, okay. So this is this is a Blake movie. Uh, uh, so if you haven't if you haven't done anything about this movie, it's about this young girl. She's probably I don't know twenty twenty one twenty two. She um, played she by Thomas is, and McKenzie. Thomas and McKenzie, who is I, she's one of my favorite young actresses. I think she's I think she's just an incredible actress. 
Um, she works at a prison and she lives with her alcoholic father, who I think is played by Shay Wiggum. And she's kind of like um, a really mousy person who doesn't have a lot of life experiences, really quiet and, you know, like gets pushed around a lot, like, you know, emotionally and, and um, you know, like in, in society it takes place in like the fifties or sixties. And um, like I said, she works, she works at a prison. She, she works in the, like, like in an office. And one day um, the, the prison hires a new uh, prison, prison psychiatrist played by Anne Hathaway, who, you know, like, blonde hair very confident you know like wears makeup and knows she's really hot and and dresses like it has a lot of confidence and there is a a um there is a a uh i think there's like a new prisoner who um thomas and mckenzie like knows kind of tangentially just because like they're similar ages who like they have to deal with in terms of like you know visitation with their with with his parents and stuff and so like she slowly becomes to like really like Anne Hathaway and not the movie kind of like never decides on whether that that like that that that, um attraction is sexual or not but there's something about Anne Hathaway that Mackenzie is not used to and she wants to know it more and be a part of it and they kind of have this like weird friendship where you don't know what Anne Hathaway is getting out of it because she's kind of new to this small town and and she doesn't know anybody and she's kind of like that new she's kind of like Anne Margaret in in um grumpy old men where like everyone's like oh who is this like you know who is who is this you know hot minx running around and one night Anne Hathaway is like you got to come over to my house and this is where I'm at and let's like let's just have dinner hang out and she Thomas McKenzie goes over and then, like they're they're having drinks, and then Anne Hathaway says one sentence that completely flips the entire like what is happening in the movie, and it goes in a completely like different direction, turns really diabolical, and the Thomas and McKenzie character is not prepared for where Anne Hathaway is, it wants to take her, and it's just like this really interesting like character drama, and then with with a with a flip of a hat, it turns into something completely different where like their lives are on the line and it's just i i loved just i loved like i love a good twist that comes out of nowhere that doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like you 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 are being cheated and i i felt like the movie's payoff was was the payoff and the twist was worth all the build-up and all the character development and the, the slow pacing i i again I, I just don't hear people talking about this and it's like, okay, I, this is a movie people really hear about. And I just thought this was, was an incredible amount of fun. Yeah. Yeah. To answer your question from earlier, this didn't get a theatrical release in Sioux Falls. It kind of got a pretty small theatrical release nationwide all told. Yeah. Um, but, but if it had played here, you know, I definitely would have seen it right away because uh, the trailer did intrigue me very much. Um, obviously, the last time that we had Thomas and McKenzie do the 60s psychological horror thriller deal, we got Last Night in Soho out of it. And mm-hmm. while Eileen, I can tell, is definitely not that like super stylish way of that. No, um, no not it, at all. You know, um, you know, there's definitely what I saw in the trailer there was enough to leave me very 
very intrigued by it. Yeah. Um, so. I, and I'm not even, I'm not even going to hint at what happens because it, it's literally just like they're having a conversation and Hathaway, and Hathaway just like lets it slip out. And you're like, what, 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 you know, like that whole thing. And then it just goes in a completely different direction and it's, it's, it's wild. So, and, and you know what, that, that's the kind of movie experience I would very much love. It's like, yeah, we're going to flip the movie on a dime and go yeah. somewhere else. And, yeah. you know, we've had lots of great movies that have come out that way. Like yeah. you're predators yeah. and you're from dust to dawns and all sure. that stuff. So. Sure. Yeah. Cool. 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 Um, my number eight um, is one of the best picture nominees. And that would be Justine Trier's anatomy of a fall, um, which, you know, is the procedural du jour of uh, award season uh one that i think is kind of still gaining momentum in the race um and honestly i've loved to see it um Mm -hmm. because it is a very well uh, a a stunningly well executed movie uh you know that plays its cards very very carefully you know is very specific in showing events you know from certain perspectives you know, to really put us in the character mindset and leaving it in such a way, you know, where we're, you know, basically debating ourselves what happened, you know, for pretty much the entirety of this two and a half hour movie as we go through the investigative process. And then as we get into the trial portion of the movie, you know, and as like the evidence and the speculation are, you know, thrown about, um, you know, and it is stunning it you know it's gripping it's has some really interesting interplay in terms of like you know it's dual use of both english and french or which is you know which is why um uh you know obviously that's what i've kind of suggested was kind of like the main concern for why this isn't in the best international feature race uh because france didn't want to do that although i actually had actually listened to some podcast since then that i talked about the whole like jury voting process um on the french international film board where it's like four to three taste of things won out over anatomy of a fall mm-hmm. and then apparently one of the people who voted for the taste of things then said oh i would actually like to change my vote now to mm-hmm. anatomy of a fall uh, so it actually like just missed um which is a shame but but even then it's still a major player in the oscar race and you know, it's a great crossover thing. It's, you know, part of the big year for Sandra Huller, uh, who's in this and Zone of Interest. Um, you know, obviously, neither you nor I have seen Zone of Interest yet. We're waiting until it comes to the state this coming weekend. Um, but, you know, obviously, the work she does here in Anatomy of a Fall is just, you know, a massive showcase for her talents as, like, the one who, you know, kind of like in that, like, basic instinct of Verhoeven, the state, like, you know, you're wondering, like, the whole time, is like, you know, did she do it? Did she not do it? Da, 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 mm. da, da. Um, but then, of course, you've got, you know, other strong performances, you know, you know, we've talked a lot about the dog, uh, Snoop, <laughs> and what that dog is called upon to do. Uh, the kid in this movie, the boy, um, I don't, I don't have his name offhand, but um, that's a very uh, important performance, you know, that really kicks in in the final half hour or so to really uh bring it all home um and you know i i think for by the standards of like your crossover art house international hit um i mean 
I think this has fared very well in that regard. Um, and I think it, because of the Oscars, it's still finding that audience, which is great. And I think it only just very recently got onto VOD, if I'm not mistaken. So again, a little bit of more of a delayed response there, but you know, people are still finding it and therefore mm-hmm. still talking about it. And that's making things fun. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, that actor's name is Milo Mikado Groner. Okay. Uh, for people listening, I, uh, yeah, I like this a lot too. Um, I was introduced to Sandra Huller a few years ago. She did a movie called Pony Erdman, which kind of like, yes, was it wasn't like a huge hit, obviously, but like it, it made a lot of you know critic lists and stuff, and worked to where you know I, I, I finally watched it, and she's really good in that too. That's a, that's it's a really funny movie. Um, I I liked Sandra. Or, sorry, I liked Anatomy of the Fall a lot. I um I was never interested in if she did it or not. And I I'm, I'm glad the movie kind of doesn't like play on that note too much. I, I saw it more as a like a, a like a character study of like what happens publicly to someone when they are put in the in the eye of a a, a media storm like this and how like we kind of almost never know people like it like how do i say this it's almost like we can know someone really well but i feel like we'll never really know anyone like ourselves and i loved how that movie played on that relationship stuff with her and her husband and how people saw the Sandra Hula character. I, you know, it's again, it's just too bad that this is in a year of like Emma Stone and Lily Gladstone because, like, I would love to see Hula take Best Actress. And part of me feels like, like you said, the it really does feel like there's momentum with this movie. And I, 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 I feel like we're going to be really surprised come the Oscar night with with this. And I'm hoping, part of me hopes that like Sandra Huller can come out of nowhere and, and, and win, but I, I don't think that's going to happen. No, but, um, but um, I, I think, I think there's still a chance for the movie to make an impact. On yeah. That that's I all mean, I'll yeah. say. I mean, I, I, I kind of think it could sneak in. Well, no, I don't think so. I was going to say it might sneak an editing win, but I, I, Oppenheimer no, edited, yeah. edited to death. So um, yeah, yeah I, I, this is a really interesting movie. It's, 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 it's always great when like, a foreign movie kind of has crossover hit with with like yeah. general audiences. You know, like this movie being like sixty percent English helps a lot, obviously. Mm-hmm. But yep. um, yeah, I mean, this is a movie that grandmas are going to. So um, <laughs> I, I mean that in a good way. But um, yeah, really good pick. Uh, my number seven is Air by Ben Affleck. I was waiting for you to list this one. Okay, no, you, you don't have it. Okay, so, no, 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 no. It's not on my okay. top ten. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I love this pro-capitalist, like, you know, fever dream uh, about, <laughs> about, about a shoe. Um, I just think, like, we kind of, like, don't get a lot of movies like this, really. I mean, we're, I guess we're getting, like, how this was made or how this was this happened movies. Yeah. Like, you know, we got products, the movie. Year. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, like, this is just so much fun. Like, it, th- this feels like, I could watch this right after um, like Ferris Bueller's day off. And like, it really feels like it's a part of that era. Um, Any movie that needle drops uh, Tangerine dream, 
and uh, the score from Body Double. And, uh, you know, like, I'm all in. And uh, we get Ben Affleck and we get Matt Damon back together. Um, just, you know, like, this is about how Air Jordans came to fruition. And uh, in that sense, it's kind of silly. Like, who cares about a shoe? But, like, because we know the result. And also, who cares about, like, really super rich people and, you know, all the money they have? But, like, they find a way to make it work. They find a way to make it entertaining. Like I said, like, anytime a a, a Tangerine Dream song gets needle-dropped, I'm in. And uh, I just – I had a lot of fun with this. Like, just, like – let movie stars cook. That's all you have to do. Like put them in front of the camera, give them an outline of what to say, what to do. And, and, and they'll, they'll go to town. I mean, I'm not the world's biggest J- Jason Bateman fan, but like, he's really good in this movie and um, him and Matt Damon, their scenes are great together. Um, Viola Davis comes in, uh, lights the screen on fire. The husband, her husband, I don't know the actor's name. He's excellent. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I just, this is just a really good entertaining Hollywood movie. And it might, it might be like below the line in terms of like what it's doing, but like, you know, like why else we go to movies? Like this is what, this is what it's about right here. Yeah. I mean, this was a good mid-sized hit uh, in the spring. Um, You know, I, I went to see it like, twice within 24 hours because it just goes down so easily mm-hmm. when you watch it, you know, just, you know, just the parade of eighties music, both like all the eighties oh, yeah. score drops, but also just like the classic tunes, like, you know, like, uh, like, Oh man, like, like uh, dire straits and you know, all that stuff, you know, yeah. just kind of loads uh, on or, or Bruce Springsteen. And yeah, it, it, they, 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 they needle drop serious by, um, the Alan Parsons project. Uh, yes, yeah, which is the Bulls like the theme song. music. Yeah, the 90s. Yep. Like it just I mean like the, Ben Affleck plays the hits in this. Like literally and figuratively and uh yeah, we're better off for it. Yeah, and you you said a bunch of stuff about the cast. I mean like, you know, Affleck, you know, you know, doing solid directing job here, but also being like really like, yeah, I'm going to dress myself up in all these crazy uh 80s Nike running fashions because yeah. Yeah, that's what Phil Knight did, and yeah. that's what I'm gonna do. Shades. Um, <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't mention Chris Messina in here, who's like going off on the phone yeah. to Matt Damon. Yeah, that's a delight. Um, always nice to see Chris Tucker pop up in a movie every five or ten years or so. Uh, that's nice. Uh, yeah, and of course, like the whole big end scene where you know where Viola Davis comes in and drops like you know these are the contract terms. My we're going to get a cut of the proceeds from the shoe. You know, that's just an incredible scene there, you know, where like, you know, like, you know, like she lays it on Damon, you know, like, you know, Damon's in a tough position there, but you know, she's absolutely right to request that. And of course, you know, it changes the shoe industry and compensation going forward there. Um, but you know, it, it's a great movie, you know, and you know, even like, with, you know, and even with people getting bent on ship, like, well, we don't see Michael Jordan in this movie. You don't really need to, because like the whole point yeah. of it is like, you know, jo- it's Jordan, the myth, mm-hmm. um, more so than Jordan, the man at this point. And the shoes help sell the myth. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'm at number seven. Uh, so I had to fit this on here at some point because, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's on one hand, it is the movie of the year. Uh, and that would be Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, a movie that, you know, at this point, I think I've seen it like about seven times. 
Mm. Um, and I, I do think, you know, Nolan still kind of has a little bit of his flaws in this movie. I mean, there's a little bit of, you know, like dialogue that doesn't ring true. Um, but also like just, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, this movie has become, you know, such an incredible hit. Um, and the fact that, you know, we're coming up on like, Within three weeks, you know, Christopher Nolan's going to go up, you know, on the Oscar stage and he's going to come off with multiple awards. Hmm. And I've got to say, you know, he deserves him, you know, because like, like in the wake of the whole tenant fiasco, you know, the, I thought like, you know, he's at a point where he has something to prove, you know, even despite like his prior track record, you know, he was at a little bit of a vulnerable point. And, you know, the fact that he kind of showed all his naysayers and say like, you know, I'm going to pull this movie off. It's a three hour historical drama. A good chunk of it is going to be in black and white, uh, mostly dialogue driven. Um, And it's going to make hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. And we all showed up for it uh, because he was able to take that kind of material and make it as much of a cinematic event as, you know, like a Batman thing or inception or interstellar or what have you. Um, Of course it really helped that, you know, in order to get Killian Murphy as his guy in this movie, he casts like 30 name actors around him to fill out his ensemble cast, which is mm-hmm. a baller move. Uh, but a lot of that cast is doing incredible work. I mean, like we were just talking about Matt Damon in air and, you know, Matt Damon is, you know, doing quite, you know, a fun job in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where he's doing great stuff there. Uh, you know, like we, everybody's said enough about Robert Downey Jr. You know, it's a great, like, you know, coming back to like doing like real movies again, you know, after being in the, uh, Marvel abyss, so to speak. Um, (laughs) but then just the rogues gallery of like supporting actors in this movie, you got David Krumholtz as kind of like, you know, the audience sympathy. Uh, you've got Benny Safdie who had quite a 2023, um, as kind of like a, quasi colleague quasi antagonist uh to oppenheimer um you know i i've said it before i'll say it again like jason clark is doing some next level stuff in this movie as like <laughs> as the as the real like antagonist of the entire third hour of this movie you know i i know there are people that who say like why does this movie have this third hour and i'm like yeah, you can say that if this movie is called The Trinity Test, but this movie is called Oppenheimer, and we have to get the full story of what's going on here. And that's where we're going to have this trial where Jason Clark is just vehemently, hellishly trying to tear Oppenheimer apart. And it is just a delectable um, effort on his part um, of villainy. Uh, you know, and I'm sure I could keep going on and on and on about like all the other stack names in this cast, but, um, but you know, to his credit, you know, Nolan just crams a lot into these three hours and he just keeps it moving. Yeah. You know, at lightning speed. I mean, this is one of the reasons why it's going to win that editing Oscar is because just, it is just, it just moves furiously for a three hour movie. It just rushes through things, but you're not, but you don't feel entirely lost in the process. Uh, it just works so incredibly well um Ludwig Gorson's score is probably is certainly in my book for the best score of the year in any movie 
Um, it is just an oral treat. Um, and yeah, it, it's just, you know, it, it's kind of wild that we had a movie like this, but I think, again, this is going to be one of those movies that really helps make the case for kind of like that shift back to, you know, that, you know, like adult uh, leaning, you know, like mid or upper mid budget movies, um, you know, that audiences will show up for, you know, if you give the effort, if you've got the cast for it, if you've got the subject material for it, um, that's kind of all seated within this movie. And that's a big part of what helped make that a success. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I liked Oppenheimer a lot. Uh, this is one of the movies I talked about earlier where I have it rated higher than most of my movies on my list, but I, it just, yeah, like emotionally didn't like stick with me, but um, I'm a, I'm a big Nolan fan. I, I'm with you. I loved all the cast. Uh, Josh Hartnett is really, really good in this movie. And it's oh, nice, yes. to see it. nice to see him back in movies. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I need to see this one again at some point. I just don't know when my, my time is pretty limited, but um it did I, just drop on Peacock on yes, Friday. Yeah, yeah. I uh, yeah, watching all the Premier League games this weekend. I got loads of ads for that, so um, <laughs> I will uh, at some point I will have to check it out again because I I really liked it a lot. Um, and that last hour, I th- I still think is is really good too. But um, yeah, Oppenheimer. Okay, so my number six, I don't think is going to be on your list either. I think we're going to have a list of two lists of like maybe two or three crossovers, if that, and that's okay. But um, so my number six is past lives by Celine song. Um, this is, I don't know how to like build this movie up. Like this, this feels like it's like maybe like the big indie of the year. Um, I, I could be that, wrong That's fair to that. say, or, or yeah. at least I think it was like the first, like the first big indie yeah. of the year, I would say. And um, I'm not going to spend too much time describing the movie because like, I think most people who are listening to this probably have seen this or know about it. But um, I, I, I love movies like this. One of my like top favorite movies of all time, you know, top three or four is, is Lost in Translation by uh, Sofia Coppola. And this kind of is one of those like unrequited love, like ugh, like lonely love story movies. And I, I just I eat this stuff up for breakfast. And um, I um, I in, in terms of movies where like I was on the edge of my seat, this movie I I, I can't believe this movie. I could feel my skin crawl for the last 30 minutes of this movie. And I could feel my, my, the blood move through my veins. I could feel, I could just feel all of my emotions as I was watching these two two characters like talk and reconnect and reconvene after, you know, decades of, of not talking. And I know the ending didn't work for you, Derek, but like, it like, I was on the edge of my seat. I, I, I was just like, where is this going? And like, it wasn't until, you know, I, I forget the, the character's name, but I was use the actress, uh, Greta Lee, when she's walking away and she breaks down, I like, I could breathe again. And for, for a small indie drama to do that to me, I, I just like, I just, it, it just really worked for me. And I, I was like really debating on where this was going to be on my, on my list um because I, I do feel like there's a not not a backlash to this movie but like the people who are anti this movie 
like I, I think is is just as high as the people who love it. And yeah, that's um, a fair so point. so I um, I was like, no, I'm gonna put it a little bit higher because I think in in that respect, in my eyes. I feel like the movie is slightly underrated, even though it it is up for like best picture, and I think it got a screenplay nomination too. And yes. so I, um, yeah, I, I I loved Past Lives, and I love you know we we just did a big Wong Kar Wai thing last year, and you know we we talked a little bit about Past Lives on, on one of those episodes, and I I feel like this is definitely akin to some of those, um, but yeah, I love I love Past Lives. Yeah, I. Um... I'm actually kind of glad that we had gotten the news earlier today that past lives is actually coming back to the state theater next week. Yeah. Cause, cause I'm like, I, I think the time is right for me to give this movie a second chance, you know, cause I only saw it the once back in July. Sure. Um, I thought it was fine, but I cer- certainly on the first watch, I didn't feel like the movie deserved the high praise that others were giving it, mm-hmm. you know? So there's been kind of like a, you know, a chip on my soul, shoulder over the past seven months in terms of thinking like, is this like my internal candidate for most overrated movie of 2023? Wow. And, so, and that, that's a big part of why I want to give this movie a second chance Yeah. and see it again with a little bit of distance and kind of see like, you know, does this like confirm my suspicions about, you know, you know, do I feel, you know, kind of creeped out? do I still feel kind of creeped out about the characters as I did like the first time I watched this? Hmm. Okay. Or does, does the ending still ring false for me? Sure. Um, You know, when I watch, I, I I at least want to give it that uh, knowing the circumstances, um, you know, and I just want to see if things change there. So I, I, again, I think I I realize that we're getting in terms of like, you know, the people who kind of like opposed to it, you know, that you're absolutely right that there are still a lot of people who are very passionate about it and who this is like either their favorite movie of the year or very yeah. close up there. Um, so, you know, I do want to respect that. Um, and again, another part of the reason why, you know, I want to go back in, you know, with having a little bit of distance and mm. just kind of see how it plays out, you know, because, yeah. you know, just to see how it goes. Yeah. So. And, and and not that it didn't do well the first time I played the state theater. I think it did pretty good. Like, but now yeah. we're, it's probably going to get like sold out crowds and it's going to be really cool to like, I, I, I probably won't get to go, but like for the people that are going to go experience the final 30 or so minutes. And maybe, the, I mean, I don't know how they're going to take it. They might take it like me. They might take it like you, but like being in a sold out crowd, like experiencing that, what they go through, the characters do, um is it that's gonna be really cool so i'm happy that's coming back yeah all right uh my number six um we're gonna firmly go into blockbuster territory here here we go um as we one of the things i was talking about in my big preamble about you know the state of movies circa 2023 is you know there was kind of like this dual notion of like moviegoers rejecting you know like the notion of like the eternal cliffhanger aspect of movies and then correlating to that um clicking into the um you know the movies that kind of treat their franchises with like this sense of finality and bringing things to a close and wrapping things up and things like Mm. that and so where i'm going with this one this might not be the one you're thinking of uh, are you sure i'm um well we'll see here because this is 
my number six is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Okay, it is not what I was thinking. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Uh, we might talk about the one you're talking about later. Okay. Um, but um, I wanted to put it on here because, you know, obviously, you know, the MCU has pretty much been in a mess for the entirety of the 2020s. Um, it's tried to stand up a bunch of new characters, you know, but the way they've stood those up hasn't been as strong as they introduced many of their earlier uh, major superheroes. Um, and, you know, like, even like the big victory ones, like, you know, like, a lot of people will sh- talk about how much they loved like Spider-Man No Way Home, which I still contend was like a great movie to see in a theater on opening night um, and a nostalgia trip uh, that's very pleasant, but I also don't think it works as an MCU movie. The more I've just, the more I've thought about it, but that's just mm. me. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed like you know, I don't think I necessarily expected like a Guardians of the Galaxy movie to be like this like emotionally cathartic uh, experience. Um, but I have to give James Ken a little bit of a credit for that because. You know, from like the outset, like five, six years ago, when he was going to make this third movie, is like, yeah, I'm going to build this movie around flashbacks to Rocket Raccoon um, and his days um, in animal testing with other uh, maligned animal buddies um, and really delving to like animal cruelty aspects, which is like kind of a ballsy thing to do when you're dealing with like. $250 million of Disney's money and are willing to kind of like upset a huge chunk of your audience in the process. Um, But it, it actually pays off pretty well because it is, it is an emotionally harrowing arc, you know, for like this CGI raccoon with a unrecognizable Bradley Cooper voice behind it. Um, But it is also just kind of leveraging this in terms of like, where James Gunn is actually like, you know, I'm not going to do this cock tease thing. You like restrain around. Like I'm out of, I'm out of here. I'm about to run Marvel's competitor uh, for however next many years. We're going to wrap this up. We're going to say goodbye to these characters. We're going to, we're going to take it home. And meanwhile, at the same time, still also providing just an absolutely bizarre visual experience uh, with all sorts of bold colors. Um, There's one scene that's kind of like, very gooey and jello-y and gross-ish uh, in that sense. Um, and then, of course, it's just got a whole bunch, you know, it still has a great gang of, you know, characters that are still doing their thing, you know, because, like, you've got, like, Dave Bautista still doing his shtick um, in the way that he does. You've still got Elizabeth Debicki, um, you know, talling things up. Uh, Will Poulter... <laughs> Uh, joining the cast in this movie, uh, you know, kind of a a bit of a doofus character, but that's delightful as well. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, I know you're not much of a comic book movie guy, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but I thought this was the one movie this year that actually did. You know, when comic book movies do things right, uh, they really resonate, and this is really the only one that came out this year. Not even Spider-Verse did this for me necessarily, but Guardians did it. And that's why I want to put it on the list. Yeah. I um, I haven't seen this one yet. And um, I, I feel like, like in terms of bright spot or like maybe not bright spot, but like 
where maybe I could get into comic book stuff. Like it's this, it's it's this series of movies. The where sure. it's like a little bit more weirder, um, you know, more things. more of an more more of where you can feel like the auteur's voice. In yeah, it, a little yeah, bit. yeah, exactly, exactly. And um, I I like James Gunn. Like I, I thought um, Sister of the Side Squad was really good. But uh, yeah, I haven't gotten to this one yet. I like you. I'm kind of like I want to distance myself from, you know, um, this. I I mean, I don't know if the Marvel thing is over, but like I'm, I'm, I'm definitely going to distance it, myself. It, it's fading. From, it's definitely yeah, fading. Yeah, I'm I'm going to distance myself for a bit because I think it's on Disney Plus right now, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I I could watch it. I'll I'll, I'll wait maybe till like the summer or something to do it. But yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Okay, so my next movie, um, I, kind of a cheat again. I, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. No, I, no, no. no. Th- th- this movie was released last year, but it, it has not played in Sioux Falls, and from my account, has not played anywhere much. Really, I have a friend who kind of like he can get movies from like studios and stuff, and he got this one, and he's like, you got to check this out. And it's called Monster, and it's by Hirokazu Koreeda, who did The Shoplifters and um, Like Father, Like Son. And um, I I watched this, and, like, I was really confused about what was kind of happening in the the first, like, 30 or so minutes. But then the movie, like, it starts to, like, it starts to go back in time. And not in a cheap, cheap way. Like it's it, it it treats its audiences with respect. But basically, it's about this mother. I think it's in like Osaka, Japan, or something. And basically, her she's a single mom, and her son's probably like seven, eight years old. He comes home one day, and like he's just not he's not acting himself, and she's really worried about her about him. So he she goes to school, and like the 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 administration of the school are acting like they are bowling over for this lady like we'll do whatever you want please don't press charges da, da, all this and she's like what are you talking about like either like whatever you know like we'll, we'll whatever you want we'll, we'll do it and then like and then like they basically make this teacher apologize and you're like what what does he have to apologize for and he's just like why well, didn't do anything wrong and like it's so it's kind of it's like the movie doesn't hold your hand with what's happening and slowly the movie goes back like into different like you know weeks and months and you slowly start to watch that like the the kids like being bullied and and then like you 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 get like a scene of that and and then you go back in time, and then you get the full scene of that where you see why he's getting bullied, and like the, so the scene is like or the movie is like constantly going back, and it reveals that like this kid has this friendship with this other boy, in his in his class, and they're both they're both kind of outcasts, and it reveals like this really sweet relationship between the two, and how like how ki- it's it's a lot about how kids like interact with each other, how they. Like they'll do things just because peer pressure tells them to, even though they don't want to do it. And then it, it, it's you know like since I since I become a father, I, I I watch like how kids act, and I have a little bit more empathy with with that. And this movie like really rings true of like how kids grow up, and sometimes like how they have to hit 
like that moment in life where they have to grow up faster than there's than they should. It's kind of like that movie George Washington by David Gordon Green, where, um, like a, a tragic thing happens and a kid shouldn't go through that, but they're forced to, and you kind of have to watch that happen. And like that whole the, the last half of that movie is kind of like how there's like this big event that happens and you watch these two kids have to go through something together where um, like they, they grow up faster than they're supposed to. And like the parents can't do anything about that. And the way that the movie and the screenplay like spin that whole yarn, it's just, it's spellbinding stuff. And the last like 20 minutes are just like edge of your seat, like thriller stuff. Not, not in like a, not in the same way that Eileen is, but like basically a monsoon is going to hit this, the, the city and these kids are out on their own and like the parents are rushing to get them and they don't know if they can get to them because of all the weather. And you watch these two kids and the movie, the way the movie is like playing the back and forth sequences and the editing, you kind of just don't know if the parents are searching for dead bodies or if the kids made out of their situation. And the final like minute of the movie is just like, it's, it's, it's incredible stuff. And uh, I just, another movie I just couldn't stop thinking about after I watched it as, as a parent, as a movie lover and uh, yeah, just awesome, awesome stuff. Okay. Um, I did do the investigation while you were talking about this. So this did get a theatrical release in the U.S. Yeah, late last year from Wellgo USA. It is not on VOD just yet. Though. Yeah, but, but since I, it's Wellgo, but, I'm sure they will get it out here fairly yeah. soon. Yeah, th- like I, I, have you seen any other movies by this guy? No, I haven't seen okay. Shoplifters. I haven't seen Broker. Okay, yeah, that he did that one was it like two years ago. That I know that I know yeah. that was talked about possibly playing here. But um, he did. He did a, a movie called Like Father, Like Son. That's also just it's really, really good stuff. He like the director finds like these really like human stories that we just don't think about, like that we go through, and he finds a way to like make an entire movie about it. And this like this is no difference. And I I was just riveted the entire time. Interesting. Would you would you say it has pair? I mean, this might be dis- disjointed because. You mentioned like it's got thrillery components as well, but would you say it's of a piece with like last year's Close? Yes, yes, okay. not 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 the same themes, but um, uh, just like you know, um, a, a a very searing drama about young children. Okay, all right, fair enough. All right, uh, so. Let's see here. So now I'm into my top five. Yeah. And for this number five, um, I'm actually kind of surprised that this movie ended up in my list um, because I think even if you had told me on like Thanksgiving weekend that not only are you going to see this movie like five times, but it's going to be in like your top five of the year, I would have said, you've absolutely got to be kidding. Uh, and that movie is Godzilla minus one. Higher. Okay, we'll talk about it later then. Yep, higher. So you're number me. four. My number four is uh, Pacifiction by Albert Serra. Uh, this is a sprawling two hours and 45 minutes on the island of Tahiti. It's 
a really it's a really interesting movie um it's about this this uh not it's a tahiti it's french polynesia so wherever that is um it's about this this politician who's french because the french own the the island they run it and then you know like the people people live there and so he is sort of like this diplomat between the french government and the people the islanders who live there and there starts to become strong rumors that a submarine was seen off the coast of the island and people are kind of like, hey, what's going on? Because the last time this happened, they started launching, you know, they started doing nuclear testing out in the ocean. And we don't want that. Messes with our livelihood, messes with, you know, tourism. And he's like, yeah, you know, it's nothing. Like, don't worry about it. I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't heard anything. And um, slowly the movie plays out like a thriller but it's a, it's a really slow burn movie like i said it's almost three hours long and you kind of feel the weight of that time and the, this guy has to like keep the peace between you know the government and the people all while like he's slowly figuring out that maybe he's being lied to and not only that but he might be being replaced and you just you never know until the very final scene of the movie, what's actually happening. And the way the movie kind of like never goes overboard, no pun intended, uh, with it's like, it's, it's um, tension, but like it just builds and builds and builds and builds. And like, it has like this, has a lot of thriller elements to it, a lot of like tension, but it, it's also like set across like this absolutely gorgeous sunsets and beach sequences like i've never like i've never seen sunsets in a movie like this like this is sunset the movie and um <laughs> like there's like like i said the way this movie builds to the the final 30 minutes which like it goes into like david lynch territory at, at some points like there's just it's just the final half hour of this movie, I was like, my jaw was on the floor with, with what was happening and what, what, how we were presented material, like visually and like plot wise, story wise. There's one sequence where he, this guy, rides out on a boat amongst like this like slew of other boats and jet skis, and they just ride these huge waves, and the camera's riding them with them. I, I just, I, I've never seen a scene like this in a movie it's just remarkable filmmaking and um another movie i like i said i just i i saw this movie and i i just i can't believe this movie exists it's just uh just a really really cool like little french thriller that like doesn't play off as one and like it just goes into absolutely like diabolical territory in its last five minutes so Really like this one a lot. Passive Fiction. I first heard about it. Sean Fennessy was raving about it on the, the big picture earlier this year. And I was like, all right, I got to check this out. Played Can. I think it won a, a Can Award maybe. Um, but um, yeah, really, really cool movie. Yeah, I'm, I've actually have the trailer playing here um, as you've been speaking, uh, where they show a lot of the sunsets, show oh. a lot of the footage at sea uh, with the army of boats in there as it were um it definitely looks sumptuous i will give yeah. you that yeah um, like this on the big screen would just be like and that that's that sequence with the boats and the waves i th i think it's all in like 
two or three takes. Like it's the camera's wow. just like watching everything. It's it's if I if I can find the clip, I'll send it to you. It's really really cool. So okay, cool, 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 cool. All right. Uh, so for my number four. Uh, this is the movie that I think you thought was my number six, and that's nope, John Wick Chapter Four. It wasn't. Oh, okie dokie. Um, well, it's probably coming up even further. Um, what I had said a lot about Guardians Volume Three in terms of like franchises that kind of embrace their finality for all it's worth, um, and I think John Wick takes that even further. Um, I would say I'm kind of the mindset where. I, I think the first John Wick, uh, even though I think it's very good, it might actually be my least favorite mm. of the series, in the sen- mainly in the sense of just how the sequels have kind of leveled up um, their visual uh, palette uh, and really have not, have not only gone for like these incredibly sumptuous visuals, uh, which are mainly due to Dan Lawson, who's a Guillermo del Toro cinematographer mm. and who's filmed all three of the sequels. Um, but also just kind of let, you know, these movies, these movies are basically, I've seen as kind of like the ideal approach in making a sequel is that you're really trying to level up and you're really trying to give like bigger, grander, more violent action, um, as they try to assemble each one of these and try to one up each other every single time. Um, and I think what really floored me the first time I had watched John Wick chapter four back in March was just how it was just absolutely going full throttle, you know, delineating things, kind of taking things down just a little bit in terms of like the lore of the John Wick world. Uh, but just kind of really indulging itself with like, just like these major, these major set pieces, you know, like the whole thing in like the Japanese hotel, uh, with Hiroyuki Sonata, and then going for like the big, uh, uh, big card playing establishment with fat suit Scott Atkins, and then just going <laughs> and then just going ham for the final hour with elaborate tributes to the Warriors, um, as well as probably like my favorite action moment of the year, which is John Wick just falling down uh, eight hundred flights of stairs. Um, for, <laughs> a minute and a half on end, it seems in the course of this movie. Um, you know, it, it is just nearly three full hours of just extravagantly choreographed, extravagantly filmed action. Um, that really feels like they're just putting everything they can up on the screen in like one final blaze of glory for this franchise. Um, and it, it's absolutely exhausting, but when you walk out of that movie, you're just like, you know, I got a full meal uh, out of a movie experience uh, with something like this, which I think, you know, is something, you know, more movies should strive for. It's like, you know, I think the John Wick series has just been so uniquely equipped to, you know, just go for it. And I think audiences, you know, have ended up being trained to appreciate that about these movies. Um, you know, it, this has just been the fascinating franchise where like the audience, you know, like the audience in the box office has gotten bigger for every sequel versus the prior installment. And even, you know, chapter four, it was, you know, the peak of the franchise, even then. 
Um, and then on top of that, you have a narrative that actually, you know, even as much as I know Lionsgate would like to say, yeah, we've got John Wick Chapter 5 coming. I mean, this movie ends on a note of finality. Um, and it is, you know, well-earned. Um, and it is impressive. And I even forgot to talk about Donnie Yen and all this, who is just such a cool mammer jammer in this movie as, you know, the blind assassin uh, who's like John Wick's frenemy in all of this. And again, I know there's plenty that you could say about this movie um, as well, but it is just an absolute action delight and just an incredible summation of this franchise as a whole and what it gave us over the course of the past decade or so. Um, it's just brilliant. Yeah. I, um, another movie that I, I, I think I gave it five stars, not on my list. Um, not saying that I, I, I obviously loved it, but um, I've walked those steps that John Wick falls down, like in real life. And I can't imagine falling down them because that's, it's a long ways, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, um, this is one of two movies that I fist pumped to in the, uh, while watching um, the other ones on my list. And we'll talk about that later. But um, I, yeah, I mean, like you said it best, like w- w- when you make a sequel, you need to figure out a way to outdo the ones before it. And this movie, they figured out a way to up the ante, up the body count. And uh, yeah, I, it's just, it, we just don't it is see the ideal of a sequel. We just don't see action filmmaking on this level, this good, this intricate, this well thought out, this well planned, this well executed. And it's just like, why are we getting a stupid casting Oscar category and not a, st- I, where's the stunt category? Why, why are we, why has there not been some sort of honorary Oscar for this series yet? I, I, I don't get it. And, um, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just so impressed with this movie, the work that's gone into it. In, in a in a just world, like we'd have a best director nominee in this as well. I, it's just, it's just really well done. It's just really good stuff. I loved it. Yeah, not much. Yeah, else. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you're basically getting at the John Wick franchise is arguably the franchise that is basically going to change action as we know it for the next decade in terms of what we're seeing on screen, in terms of what audiences are going to demand from their action movies. Um, and, you know, this this installment just sets a high bar for, you know, where other filmmakers... Go. I, I'm very curious where Chad Stahelski is going to go next because, you know, he's attached himself to, you know, like a number of, you know, like franchise, like, yep, I'm going to do like the Highlander reboot, which... You hear something like that. I mean, on one hand, I'm curious, but on the other hand, it feels like it feels like a step down, a major step down, mm. you know, from where he's kind of left things with this franchise. I mean, he can definitely surprise me. Um, I, I hope he can surprise me. But, you know, I've also kind of seen what, like, David Leach has done, you know, as kind of like this, you know, slick studio action journeyman, you know, who comes in to make your blockbuster in 15 months and get it mm. out there. Yeah, and and I enjoy a lot of those movies, but you Mm -hmm. know they definitely don't raise to the high levels that the John Wick franchise is set. And I just I just hope you know Stahelski at least you know if he is done with this franchise that he can still find other franchises and action vehicles you know to still maintain that high caliber of action filmmaking. That's all. 
Yeah, I am with you. Um, so, okay. So my number three, you mentioned it earlier. Um, so I think I'll, I, I think I'll let you talk about it. Actually, um, it's Godzilla minus one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I basically went onto this movie, went into this movie on a whim, uh, like the Friday night that it opened, you know, with a pretty decent crowd of like thirty some people for like a Friday. 10 30 p.m. showing i i know i had gotten to the theater i met matt petty outside who had just come out of like the 7 30 p.m. showing and he was like oh man this is so this is so awesome man um <laughs> you know it you know and i had even seen like some chatter from other uh letterbox friends of ours here in town saying hi things about them coming out of like the wednesday night shows or the thursday night shows um and and i'll i'll freely admit you know i'm not like a hardcore Godzilla fan, you know, I'll, I'll go out to see, you know, the, the latest, newest Godzilla endeavors. But even then, like the legendary universe movies largely haven't worked awesome for me. I, I, I love the Gareth Evans, I'm sorry, the Gareth Edwards one, but that's mm-hmm. mainly because of the Gareth Edwards of it all, who just mm-hmm. has that way to shoot these types of things. Um, you know, like, you know, and even like things like the creator showed that, you know, but you get like a movie like Godzilla King of the Monsters from 2019 where it's just like, uh, I mean, I appreciate the monsters, but we have to get through all this stupid human subplot stuff to get through that. And the genius of this movie is it finds the ways, you know, it finds the right human story to anchor this movie in terms of like, post world war two Japan where the country's ring uh, from the impact of the war, um, you know, where we've got these characters that we're following as they try to rebuild their lives, especially our main character, kamikaze pilot who decided to abort his mission, land off on, you know, a, a repair and service Island only to find that Godzilla has come to them and wiped out most of that crew. Um, it is, I mean, it's an effective use of like Japan's history, you know, to frame this, you know, and get it back to the roots of like the original Godzilla movie from 1954. But also, it is just effective blockbuster filmmaking. Um, the set pieces, you know, where you know, I mean, Godzilla doesn't make that many appearances, but when he does come in, you know, he makes an impact. You get a big, you know, like mid-movie city destruction sequence. But you also get, you know, like this elaborate, you know, these elaborate set pieces at sea, you know, where you've got these boats, you know, trying to, you know, encircle Godzilla, you know, and trap him underwater and so forth. Um, You've got the aerial components to these sequences as well. Um, You've got like an early midsection of this, the early section of this movie, which is kind of like the Godzilla version of Jaws. I mean, yeah, the Godzilla version of Jaws is probably Mm -hmm. the way to put it. Yep. Um, with like the diffusion of these uh, uh, mines, you know, at sea, uh, which then turns into like defending from Godzilla uh, and so forth. Um, it is just so incredibly well done the way that you know these these elements are weaved together to kind of create this exemplary um, Godzilla film uh, from the folks at Toho, um, and then of course you know sound design visual effects um which i would say 
this movie is the front runner to win visual effects because they're doing a really good job of telling the story hmm. of how they made these visual effects. There, there's a video that Toho posted last week on YouTube where they kind of where the director talked about the efficiencies in doing this because the director is also the visual effects supervisor for the movie. He came out of visual effects. So he really designed the movie with an eye toward, you know, like, you know, what's like the bare minimum we need in terms of like practical sets, you know, to make the visual effects work or like what's the bare minimum of shots that we need to make it work and just sheer efficiency Mm. on the part of him and his crew to make it work. Um, You know, all great stuff there. And, you know, we've also talked, you know, on the side about the score as well, which is just epic. Um, I know I still see when I post stuff to Instagram, I can see like the most popular tracks that users are using. Several of them are Godzilla minus one score hmm. tracks, which I find very fun and endearing. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's just such an incredibly realized blockbuster. Um, and of course it had a, much like the boy in the heron it had breakout box office success here in the final weeks of the year you know audiences came out for it you know when it played at the state we had four showings and they all sold out and this is even like a month after it had come out so you already have like the front loading of audiences but then you still had folks coming out a month later which was absolutely impressive so it, it it's a great success story um at the movies at the box office and with fans and, you know, I, there's there's definitely a reason why it's on both of our list. Yeah. This is the movie I thought you were talking about with uh, the franchise rejection thing and whatever. But only because, like, it just felt like this movie just kept building. And, like, it was either number one one weekend or, like, number two and it was really close or something. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So, obviously, I've got number three. I, I love this movie. This, to me, is, like, the best blockbuster of the year. Um, just because it's so old school, it's like it's it's a great combination of like new school and old school blockbusters. Um, I I'm I'm one of those people that don't care about the, the terrible characters in Godzilla movies, but it's also nice to see like Toho come back and be like, now nah, we're gonna make a, a a very endearing story, one that like you said ties in with Japan's history, and it, the way all of that plays out. Even though I, I did see what ends up happening coming, I, I didn't care. I, um, I just, I, when, when, just, when it, movie, it, it feels so well earned. I yeah, think. Is yeah. Good. When movies can wrap up like this and, 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 and <clears throat> use, use story, use visuals and, and, and themes and, and, and just like, end the way this does, it's just like this is it's why I go to the movies, you know. Like for the longest time, I thought I was, was going to put this at number one for my year, but um, I yeah, it's just I love this movie. I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Godzilla fan. I grew up with Godzilla, and to see someone come back in and and treat you know I, respect is a maybe a harsh word, but like to treat this material with like more quality to a, to a story, it's so nice and. Um, I was at one of those state theater screenings and I, I was just, I was riveted. I, you know, like, like you said, the score is great. There's one theme that I just, I love so much and um, watching this character. I just, yeah, I just loved it. I, I think this is one of the big surprises of the year. We just, yep, just absolutely. so, so good. 
so good. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Um, number three, um, you probably saw this is coming. I knew I had to squeeze it in here somewhere, um, but I'm putting Barbie at number three. Um, I have, I mean, I, I know you don't like it as much as I do. We, we've had that conversation before. We don't need to relitigate. Dark. That. I don't like it at all. I'm okay. just gonna say I don't like it at all. Great, so, great. But I um, that's not what this is about. So I'll let you go ahead. I mean, it. Th- there's a, you know, when it comes to blockbuster filmmaking, um, there, you know, there's something that still kind of just tickles me about the fact that this movie is the one that kind of took off in the way that it did and became became this cultural juggernaut mm-hmm. that it was. Um, you know, and it was very endearing. You know, you know, there was a part where it's like, you know, this this is like the first time in forever where we've had just like a a pure comedy uh top the box office. And not like one of these like mm. Marvel movies that has like a joke every 30 seconds or something like yeah. that. But like an actual comedy, you know, kind of like what we had had dominating the box office in like the 1990s. And sure, mm. like the the whole intellectual property of it all is a big part of that. Sure. Cause a lot of, you know, a lot of audience members wanted to see a Barbie movie, you know, and I'm kind of, again, not unlike Godzilla minus one. This is kind of a surprise because I have no attachment to Barbie dolls, none mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, but I did find it to be, you know, a very funny comedy nonetheless with a very game cast. Um, you know, a lot of visual, um, a lot of action, excellently realized visual details in terms of production design and costumes and hairstyles and so forth. Um, it, it's a full package and, you know, it, it's kind of a real testament, you know, to, you know, to Margot Robbie and to Greta Gerwig, you know, for having kind of, for basically having the vision to push, push something like this through uh, the studio system. You know, we had kind of seen early in the year with like, Super Mario Brothers, where you can make the very safe, very straightforward, you know, version of one of these IP property movies, you know, and you can make bank that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when you've got the impetus you know, to, to lean into your, uh, your complicated history of your intellectual property and kind of confront it somewhat head on. I mean, I mean, th- there's still a bit of safeness. As we, I'm, I'm not going to say this is like a rogue movie by any means, but uh-huh. it's taking a little bit more risk with material than what I probably thought it would have done. Um, but also I just find it very funny and I found uh-huh. it very funny to watch with an audience. And I like every doofus dolty thing that Ryan Gosling does in this movie, for example, um, or, you know, finding Will Ferrell actually not <laughs> insufferable in a role like this, mm. where he could have easily gone off the chain, but I guess Greta must have reined him in a little bit or something like that. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or how should I phrase it? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a total package again. It also has some nice songs to it. Um, I still think Helen Mirren has the funniest line in the movie, um, where she comments on Margot Robbie should not be the person who's cast in this movie if you want your Barbie to say she's ugly. Um, it just worked for me, and I, I just found it something that was 
easily worth revisiting plenty of times <laughs> over the course of and and you know part of part of what I go into with this is you know me you know me as a movie theater guy and you know me as an audience as an audience experience guy mm-hmm. yeah. and that was kind of the, you know, and that was a big part of the magic of like Barbenheimer weekend for example is you know where people were piling into theaters and you know I wanted you know enjoyed having that experience with both of those movies that weekend and it was just really fun you know to see audiences discuss i mean well i shouldn't necessarily call oppenheimer fun but certainly barbie has that fun element going into it you know where you're listening to audiences as they discover it and realize what the heck this movie is doing uh and it becomes quite a treat and that was the enjoyable even like when it played at the state like four months later you know even though you would think everybody had seen that movie by this time, but time and time again that weekend, they still filled the place up. Uh Um, That was magical too. Um, And, you know, you know, sure. It would have been nice for this movie to maybe win. I mean, maybe this can still scoop up a screenplay win on Oscar night. I mean, maybe that could be, I mean, it would be tough, um, but there's also the, consolation prize aspect of it all yeah perhaps we'll see we'll see but but you know i mean it the way that it was a juggernaut at the movies this year it can't be denied and yeah i'll be curious to see how where greta can go from here and what margo can go from here with the cloud off this movie it's going to be exciting yeah i i guess for me it's like i don't see a name of a fall going home empty-handed which means that I, I, we don't know, right? But like, well, well, it, anatomy it, is it, in, well, anatomy is an original. Barbie's an adapted. Oh, that's right. Yes. What, what? What's the? Oh, okay, okay, yeah, okay, yep. That was the big thing a few weeks ago, wasn't it? So, yep, yep. Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't, I don't have a problem with this movie. Like, I, I don't think it's bad or anything. I just think. The hype, the hype, and the the, the memeing of the movie, bef- like it just it was just so big, and you couldn't ignore it. And that was that was where my, I I I was like, watching it. I went, my wife wanted to see it, so we went and saw it at West Mall Theater here in town. And after like fifteen minutes, I was kind of like, okay, I I I get it, I get you it. know. And and so I'm sure I'll watch this at some. You know, I, for those who don't know, I have I have two daughters, and so like <laughs> I will I will pr- more yeah. than likely be be watching this at some yeah. point again. So yeah. at some I'm, point I'm, they will discover it. And I'm, I'm we have tons of Barbies in our house, so I'm I'm okay watching it again. I I, I have nothing against this movie. It's just it's just not for me. So sure. um, yeah. yeah yeah so um, yeah I I was not surprised that you put this on the list. I'm a little surprised it was this high, but. Um, I know that you you saw it a lot, and I know that you enjoyed it every time, too. So, um, yeah, very cool. All right, your number my two. Num- my number two is a movie I loved because I have daughters, um, and that's "Are You There, God?" It's me, Margaret. Here um, it is. I, <sighs> yeah, this movie ended, and I just, I had the biggest warm feeling. I've had other than my number one movie of the year. And I, um, I, I just, I, I, there's certain, there's some, sometimes movies, I just, I love the characters and 
I, I said earlier, like, it's really easy to make a movie. You just, you literally just take a movie star, put them in the movie, and you just, you let them go. And I don't know who's to blame for this, but how we're, how we're going to enter the 2024 Oscars with, without a nomination for Rachel McAdams, I'll never know. She is just, she is every mom and wife you want to have. Like she is, she's just so good in this movie. The way this movie treats its characters, they're not like movie characters. They're like real people. They have real mm-hmm. problems. I love that. I love that there's really no bad people in this movie. There's like, there's a character in this movie who like, she's just kind of like lost in her ways of like how she treats her friends. She's not a, a bad person. And our main character like fully realizes that she doesn't need to be friends with this person. But the movie is never like villainizing this person. And I really liked when movies do that. I really like when a movie treats everyone with respect. I love how this movie treats religion with respect and how mm-hmm. it, it's it's not out for against religion, which I feel like it's really easy to do in movies these days. This movie just treats everything, source material, its characters, its story, with respect. It's such a sweet movie about this young girl who just, she's growing up. She has a lot of questions. A lot of things are happening to her, which I don't have experiences with. And I, I love that this movie, which was made by a woman and written by a woman, it's just such a sweet movie. Treats everything with sincerity. And I I, I just, I love, I, 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 this is a movie that I, I'm really looking forward to watching with my wife someday, with my daughters. And I just, I really, I really love this movie a lot. And I, this is one of the, I, I generally find one movie every year where like I'm not expecting to like it or love it and I do and this is that movie for me where I was like ah, I'm not going to watch this movie and I just I ended up watching it one night and was just really surprised by how much I was um, taken aback by it yeah um, I, I've only watched it the once back when it came out in April but I would agree with you I mean it is an absolute charmer um, and it is very you know down to earth you know and true to Human nature, um, you know, you obviously a lot to say there about like uh, Rachel McAdams, uh, but like, um, but also like Benny Safdie as the dad. Um, again, part of his big twenty twenty three year. Kathy Bates as the grandma. Um, you know, that's a big ball of energy that she has there in that role. Uh, Abby Ryder Forsen, I believe, is who plays Margaret. Um, very endearing there as well and really sells like you know the all the whole uncomfortability about you know this period in her life and so forth um you know again this is this is kind of obviously the movie sticks to the 1970s period when this original judy bloom book was written and it also kind of helps as kind of a throwback aspect to it in terms of you know like you kind of get a little bit of that like why don't they make movies like this anymore uh, type yeah. of vibe from it. Um, I know James L. Brooks has a producer credit on this, helped negotiate getting the rights to the book from Judy Bloom. Um, you know, so there's kind of that throwback angle to it as well. Yep. It is an absolute charmer and it, it felt kind of sad that this movie kind of got, you know, 
very much underseen and forgotten about when it opened right before the onslaught of the summer blockbusters. Because, um, you know, th- this is a movie that deserved an audience and should have had a bigger audience uh, than what it had. I don't know if it's just because it, it came out from Lionsgate, which probably doesn't know how to release a movie like this compared to like your John Wicks and your saws and your expendables. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but I would agree this, this is a movie that definitely deserved, you know, a bigger audience than what it got. I just, I can't stress how good Rachel McAdams is in this movie. Like I, I have taken her for granted for a long time. And now with this, and I recently rewatched game night, it's sort of like, okay, she's one of our great movie stars. And um, I just, I just, I just love being with her in this movie. She's just, just a lovely person. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think, does she have anything coming up yet? Uh, at least in the very near future. I, I almost want to think she has, but no, I don't even see any upcoming credits for her mm-hmm. on IMDb. That's too mm-hmm. bad. That's yeah. Bad. All right, um, my number two. Um, this will make things very easy in term because I, I think I know where we're going to end up on this. But, okay. Um, okay. But my number two, I'll get it out of the way just so we don't have to discuss it later. But my number two is Asteroid City. Mm, um, wow. Another movie that another movie that I think we weirdly forgot about. You know, in like as everyone we got did. Into, yeah, which is weird, you know, because. When it opened, it certainly popped, you know, and everybody was in a rush to see it. And then, you know, we all just kind of forgot about it, which is kind of a shame because you know, it's certainly certainly one of the most distinctive movies of the year. Certainly one of the most exquisitely visually designed movies of the year. Um, um, and certainly one that has very, you know, even by Wes Anderson standards, I mean, this has a very peculiar sense of humor to it in terms of, you know, how the visuals sell the comedy in terms of the weird, I shouldn't say weird, but quirky characters that populate this entire endeavor. Um, But it is also, you know, it is also just, you know, the movies I tend to really latch onto are the ones that have worlds that I want to revisit and I think the world that what that Wes Anderson puts together in this movie is one that, you know, is just so exquisitely and tangibly designed. You know, we're like you ba- the way that he films this environment, you basically know every nook and cranny of it, mm-hmm. as it seems. Um, when the Blu-ray had come out, I had to look at the special features where they talk about like, yeah, we've got this wide open space here in Spain where we built this city uh, <laughs> and they show like these big overhead shots of like, where all the sets are. Um, and it absolutely fascinating stuff. Um, but you know, it's just so exquisite. And of course it has like, even by Wes Anderson standards, probably like his most massive cast ever in terms of names i mean it probably helps that he's kind of got like multiple timelines where you can have like separate cast like like edward norton and adrian brody and margot robbie are often their own thing away from everybody that's in the asteroid city town itself Mm -hmm. um but also you know it's fascinating because and i've said this before 
this is a COVID movie. Um, I think Wes Anderson has admitted that he wrote this movie during COVID uh, and put the whole reactions to lockdown stuff into, you know, his citizens of Asteroid City getting quarantined due to the whole alien didgeridoo. Um, and yeah, and then just just weird humor and weird delightful moments. The appearance of the alien in this movie is still <laughs> a cackle out loud moment. Um, the Margot Robbie moment is still a stunner. Um, it's kind of wild just how many how many stunning moments Wes has in this piece. And, you know, it's a shame that, it, you know, it kind of got slept on. Uh, you know, I, I'm still glad that Wes Anderson is still going to win an Oscar on in March, not for this mm. movie, but for his short, mm. um, which will still be cool. But, you know, there's no reason why I don't think Asteroid City, you know, shouldn't be treated on the same level as say, like a Grand Budapest or Moonrise Kingdom in terms of like Oscar's reaction to it. But that's just me. That's mm-hmm. just me. Yeah. So speaking of forgetting about this movie, didn't this movie, isn't this his highest grossing movie? Uh no. Uh, oh okay. Okay. That is that is still Grand Budapest. Okay. If I'm okay. Not I I thought this movie did really well for some reason, the, but this only did like about thirty million. Okay. In the summertime, okay. it, yeah, it was I, like his big. It was his biggest opening. Okay, that's probably office. what I'm. That's probably what I'm thinking of. Um. Yeah. I I like this movie a lot too. Um. Often not enough to make my top ten, but um. I just I, I like when like people like Tom Hanks are like yeah I want to work with Wes Anderson and then he comes in and like doesn't do Tom Hanks but like is obviously just recognizable yep. as Tom Hanks yep. you're, like, you're kind of getting both parts of that and mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of cool that like Wes Anderson brought back Jason Schwartzman to give him just a big role and yep. he gets to, like you know you you obviously can't think you you obviously can't not think about Max Fisher. And like, is this the guy he grows up into, you know, and Mm -hmm. uh, his, his, yeah, I just, really good stuff. I I laughed really hard when the alien pops out and (laughs) is like taking that orb or whatever it is. Um, But um, yeah, I, I'm really curious to see where Wes Anderson goes next with his next movie because his, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't love his, like his, his last, like solid decade of, of movies so interesting um, yeah i mean you I, I mean you responded to this one more favorably than some of his other recent stuff if i wasn't mistaken. yeah I, I i didn't like french dispatch at all um but um i mean it's been like 10 years since uh grand budapest which i think like is his probably his best movie um that he's made oh, yeah but um, i would agree yeah uh, so I'm I'm kind of curious to see where he goes next if he's going to go you know full tilt back into something like Isle of Dog or um, if he's going to like you know do more mainstream stuff I I, I don't know so uh, right. okay number one movie of the year do you, do you okay I have two questions I, for you sure do we have the same movie as number one I think we do do you want to guess what my number one movie is. Um, I think your number one movie is The Holdovers. You are correct. <laughs> yes. Is it I'm kind of surprised one? for for as 
Yeah, it's my number one. And wow. I'm kind of surprised for for as disparate as our list are or have I been this know. evening. This this is fun. This is fun. I, I'm, I'm glad we yeah, genuinely came we, to this. Yeah, we did, and we did not talk about anything beforehand. So this is this is really cool. Okay, so I, Alexander Payne and uh, Paul G. Amati they they made a movie together. Sideways, everyone knows it. It's one of my favorite movies uh, of all time. I love Sideways. It's just I, another warm blanket type of movie for me. Um, so when I first heard about this, I was like really hesitant because I didn't know if you could capture, um, if you could capture like you know that the magic in that bottle twice. And by God, they somehow have done it. I um, I'm really, I'm really, I really hope Paul Giamatti wins the Oscar because I, I just, I think he's gonna get out there and talk about how much of a loser he is, and I, I can't wait to hear him do that. Because he's he's going to be talking for a lot of people up there about the guy who finally made it up there and and, and on the big stage mm-hmm. and and all that. And so I'm really I really hope he wins and 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 goes about that. But I just I love these like humanistic dramas dramedies I should say about characters who they're just regular normal people who. They they meet up and like they discover things about themselves, and by doing so, they gain empathy about one another, and they they recognize that like they're hurting as well, and that even though even though that like maybe they're hurting, they can still provide that empathy to another person. Like all three of these all three of the main, these main the main characters in this movie are all dealing with something that um, might not be apparent to some, like, like we, we both know where like the, 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 the cook, like where her, her herd is coming from. She lost mm-hmm. a son in Vietnam. So her, her, like her, her hurting is, is out there in the open. We all know what it is, but like we, like Paul G, we don't know where his is coming from, but we don't really know where Dominic Sessa his his uh, pain is coming from and like it's slowly like unraveled as the movie goes along and it, like 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 the, the the movie monster I, I talked about earlier it doesn't feel cheap or the movie is not cheating about where and how it's being revealed and I just really loved this world that these people occupy in in my in my letterbox review I talked about how much I love the um the Bob Rafelson movies um five easy pieces and the king of marvin gardens and mm-hmm. I, I really feel like this movie harkens back to those even though supposedly alexander payne is a big hal ashby fan and 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 is, is more channeling those i have not really seen a lot of those so I, I i have to get on that but nevertheless like it reminds me of those great 70s new hollywood movies and um i don't i just Alexander Payne's ability to pick out a, a star out of like nothing in Dominic Sessa is quite remarkable in itself. And I, for a second there, you know, I had talked about like him possibly sneaking into best supporting actor and it kind of sucks that he didn't, but it doesn't really change the fact that like he's out there having fun with this whole thing. Like, you know, like doing this Bob Dylan thing at the premieres and everything. And um, I just, it's really cool to see someone like Paul Giamatti, who's not like classically attractive or whatever, like just really being like 
a Hollywood actor. He's a, he's a, I mean, he's a movie star, and yeah. it's really cool. To, it's really cool to see him lead this project and really nail this character. And you know, we, you know, I've talked about it, but he has for me like the scene of the year where he tells Dominic Sessa's character like which eye to look at. Mm-hmm. And I like literally was like, I screamed fuck yeah in my basement when that happened. And I was just like, just, I just love stuff like that. And um, this movie ends and you kind of just don't know where people are headed. And I, I also love that as well, because that's, that's life. We have situations that, that end for us and we don't, we don't know what that next step is. And I love how this movie ends where you're excited for Paul Giamatti's character, but you're also like, Oh, what's going to happen? We don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I wish <clears throat> Alexander Payne had gotten in as a, as best director nominee. Although I, I, I was prepared for that not to happen. And um, I'm, I'm not surprised this is my number one movie of the year. I, I, I love everyone involved. And um, we have a new Christmas classic on our hands. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, this movie is fresh in my head because I just watched it last night. Um, I went to Del Rapids to their theater to watch it. They decided to bring it in to fill one of the gaps in their schedule due to the strikes. Um, and yeah, it it just absolutely holds up. It is just a perfectly calibrated screenplay, you know, that is just expertly structured, you know, so you've got incredible setups beautiful payoffs um, even right up until the end uh, with the Cognac uh, in the car. Um, It's great. Um, You know, it's a very hilarious movie. It's a great movie to watch with an audience, which is why, you know, in a way fitting of this movie, I made watching this movie every day during Mm -hmm. my Christmas break at the state, like kind of a thing into itself because this is a movie you want to see with the crowd. I mean, th- this this is the platonic ideal of that type of thing where you get to share in the laughs and you get to share in the emotions and it just plays like gangbusters, um, you know, and, and you want to be happy in a movie like this succeeding, you know, with, you know, the local community in the way that it did during that, uh, eight day stretch um, between Christmas and New Year's. Um, that was just, that was just lovely. Um, but it is just a great entertainment as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, you know, it nails the dramatic beats, you know, for all three of our main leads. Um, you know, it, it can be a devastating movie at times, but, but it earns it. And mm-hmm. there, there just isn't a false note in the entire thing. I think you can argue, um, you know, even when it may almost seem like how many other maladies can they pile on Paul Giamatti's character, you know, <laughs> between like the fish smell and the lazy eye and, uh, you know, whatever else you want to befall upon him. Um, but you know, he still makes the human within their work and, it's, you know, and I'm excited to see, you know, where Dominic Sessa goes from here. I think I had seen it like in a deadline article today that he has notched his first role mm. since the holdovers a movie with Rose Byrne, it appears. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. Ooh, that could be uh, good. Um, 
And then, of course, Divine Joy Randolph, who, you know, is a lock to win an Oscar at this point, which is incredibly, incredibly cool. Um, I, I still, I'm still leaning toward Giamatti getting the Best Actor Oscar at this point. Um, yeah. Know, Killian Murphy it, winning the BAFTA doesn't alarm me in the slightest. They're going to go for the homeboy in that case. That's perfectly fine. Um, but I think Giamatti still has a very impressive shot to make it happen. Um, you know, and if he can win two major acting prizes, in the end, that's a pretty darn good showing for a movie like this. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, it's it's just exquisite. Um, it is a movie that, you know, like you said, it's very cozy and comfortable to watch. You just want to snuggle up with it. Um, and I keep finding ways to go back to it. Uh, the music selections in the movie uh-huh. are on point. You know, like the boy chorus selections, you know, the Christmas music within here, because again, new Christmas classic, um, um, great stuff like that. Excellent production design, you know, even like the visual effects to make it look like the seventies. They, they work pretty well for what they do as well. Um, it is, it is just a top notch movie. Um, uh, if anything, I'd only wish it had, you know, in an earlier era, this could have been like a big breakout blockbustery hit. As it stands, it's only made about twenty million so far, which is Gosh. a darn shame. But I'm hoping it's uh. like done well on Peacock or something like that. At least I wish it has. But you know, like if anything else, I'm glad that I had like those nights at the state where I could watch it with mm-hmm. a full crowd and have the blockbuster experience that probably a lot of other people never had. Um, yeah. and you know, that's, that's great in and of itself, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that, you know, this ended up being both of our number ones, uh, when all is said and done, Yeah, that, that was really cool. And it, it deserves all the accolades, accolades it has. And yeah. even more than that. Yeah. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. I, I, I have to admit around like pick like three and four, I was like, I think we might have the number, number one. So <laughs> that was that was pretty cool. Um, it just shows how much you know we love the movie, and um, yeah, I, yeah, wow. I'm I'm very happy about that. Um, All right. Yeah, let's just quickly go through our, our list again, and sure. then we'll. Um, and then I I, I do want to ask you one more question before we say goodbye. But um, yeah, yeah. So my my number ten was Tori and Lakita. My number nine was All Eyes. My number eight was Eileen. My number seven was Air. My number six was Past Lives. My number five was Monster. My number four was Pacifiction. Number three, Godzilla, minus one. Number two, Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. And my number one was The Holdovers. All right. Uh, My top ten list was starting at number ten, You Hurt My Feelings. Uh, number nine, Bo is Afraid. Number eight, Anatomy of a Fall. Number seven, Oppenheimer. Number six, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Number five, Godzilla Minus One. Number four, John Wick Chapter 4. Number three, Barbie. Number two, Asteroid City. And number one, The Holdovers. Very, very cool. Uh, good year for movies. Uh, awesome top tens. We have, what, two crossovers each? That's yep. pretty. That's pretty crazy. Um, okay, so I have one question for you. Mm-hmm. What 
2024 are you looking forward to the most? What movie? Um, just one movie? You can list a few. Okay, <laughs> I have, okay. I have, right? I have one that I'm really dying to see, but I'll let you list a few. Okay, okay. Um, I'm going to start with what is far and away my guilty pleasure pick uh, for the year 2024, and that is Twisters. Um, this is the pure nostalgia bait boy in me. Um, but I think if this movie is even somewhat decent and at least harkens back to the spirit of the 1996 movie, we've got a huge blockbuster on our hands. Mm. And I think that's going to be very, very, um, exciting if we can pay that off. Um, in terms of other things coming this year, I mean, based on the fact that it's filming already, I'm really hoping we can get P.T. Anderson's Vineland in theaters by the end of the year here. Um, I, I think we got a pretty good shot of that happening. I, I think so too, yeah. So, so in, at least in terms of Oscar contendery stuff, I mean, that's pretty big on my plate, at least at this point in time. Um, Furiosa, I would say just out of sheer curiosity there's a part of me that's thinking like this will be like this year's like across the spider-verse you know where the first or the previous movie set high expectations and this one will fall a little bit short of it and Hmm. you know won't live up to i could be absolutely wrong i mean i mean never bet against george miller of course but that's just kind of a little bit of the vibe that i've got here for this um and then i'll just leave it by saying like I'm very curious what Mr. Kevin Costner has in store for us with his not one, but two Westerns that are coming out this summer. Oh, I forgot. I have to mention this. If we're talking blockbuster guilty pleasure sequels, I got to put Gladiator 2 in here. Um, really is going to come back. He's got Denzel. He's got Mescal. Um, it's going to be a blast. I can just feel it. Um, there. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. I, uh, I, I'm also looking forward to um, all of those. Uh, my, I'm still waiting for this goddamn Toxic Avenger remake to come out. So that's my I, most anticipated movie. I don't care if it's I, streaming. I don't care anymore. I, I just want to see it. So I mean, that is absolutely insane because like after the whole thing with like, you know, we're putting it up at these film festivals and you're, you know, they're blabbing about that with the intention of getting a distribution deal. What is going and it on? Didn't, I don't know. Is it is the movie unreleasable? I I truly don't understand it. Um, but yeah, at this point, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so, so I'll concur. That's my that's my number one. Like where I want to see this. It's I feel like they this they shot this movie like three years ago at least. Yeah, I mean, it's either really bad or or they don't they like no I, I don't know I just I don't know what's going on and. Um, it's it's not that like, it's not that we like we don't even know like no one's talking about no. this movie like it played Fantastic Fest or something yep. last in September. September October and it I mean it's hard to judge reviews out of there because those people are going like those people that are there yeah. want to see stuff like that but um, yeah I don't know like we haven't seen any pictures of Toxie and I've I, I just I, I haven't watched the trailer yet and I'm not going to because I I want this movie to be fresh as fresh can be sure um i trust making blair to do something with this and i think elijah woods involved somehow too so yes that's right um 
and he he likes to make these weird genre movies. So I, I his heart's in the right place. So uh, yeah, that's my number one movie that I'm looking forward to, uh, possibly okay. next year as well. So um, <laughs> it'll yeah. be a permanent spot on this. Yeah, yeah, years. yep. Yep, it's going to be... Uh, Sean Finnessy had a movie like this, too, where he just didn't know when it was going to come out. I, f- I forget what it was, but... Um, uh, oh, was it was Bo's Afraid. The... It was Bo's Afraid is what it was. Yeah, he he had... Uh, right? Or was am I thinking of something else? I, I was just thinking, because... I don't know if it was as part of the Big Picture podcast, but didn't one of them keep bringing up, like, the new Gareth Evans movie that Netflix keeps punting down the line? I think with Tom Hardy <laughs> or something like that? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. He made a movie. So um, he made a movie like know. several years ago, and it's just kind of been sitting. Really? Around. Yes. He, he he did the raid, right? I always yes. get the Gareth mixed up, so yeah. I don't I don't know who does what. But um, yeah. Anyways, we're we're blabbering at this point. But yeah, I'm looking forward <laughs> to Toxic Avenger at some point. Um, I'm sorry you didn't mention Dune Two, which I think is going to be incredible. So um, I mean, it, it it it's almost here. So I yeah. Mean, that's it, true. I, I I was trying to look a little bit forward than just oh yeah I'm gonna watch a movie next week called Dude. Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. All right, let's wrap this up. I'm tired. Yes. Um, yep. Uh, you can find me at uh, on Letterbox uh, under the real John G or on Instagram uh, Blake G fifty one fifty. I'm on Facebook if you want to friend me there. Uh, Derek, where can people find you at? Yep, you can find me on the letterbox at D-E-R-V Dude. That's Derf Dude on Letterbox. You can find me on the same handle at Instagram. You can find me on the Facebook. Um, uh, and you can find me more often than not at the Sioux Falls State Theater. There you yep. go. Uh, me too. I work there sometimes. I see movies there sometimes. Derek, you see movies there all the time, which I'm jealous I live there. of. Yep. Uh if you're not subscribed to this podcast, please do because you not only get this one, you get the Criterion Break, which uh, is coming back at some point very quickly because we have a really long movie to watch. And, yes, we do. Um, and um, now uh, we uh, we also have a, an Oscar show coming out soon. Uh, Andy has his top ten list coming out soon. Uh, you also get the t- Let's Talk About uh, show that uh, is, is kind of like the, the 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 rock of this whole podcast. Um, shout out to Tom Devine who just did a, a really good episode with Andy on that. I loved one of my favorite um, Let's Talk About episodes. They talked Runaway about Train. Uh, Runaway Train, which is uh, a really good movie. And uh, yeah, uh, I'm really bad at this as you can tell. But uh, like rate review this podcast um we need more listeners we want more listeners and um yeah i'm tired man uh yeah. a lot of movies talked about tonight lot that's of, for lot sure of movies. do you want to say goodbye derek uh yeah see ya thank you for listening to fat dude digs flicks